Well, hi, folks. This is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is October the 26th. It's a Wednesday. It's time for interview day. And uh, the giant Yeti from Montana, a.k.a. Paul Wheaton, is returning to TSP. We're going to talk about a bunch of stuff today. We're going to put some real time into talking about his ongoing Kickstarter right now being done with Helen Athro on Garden Mastery. I've said before since I've talked about his Kickstarter um, that... I find it to be something I'm excited to take the course. Uh, I don't take a lot of courses in gardening. I'm a pretty damn good gardener. Helen is someone I really look forward to learning from, though. And I, you're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about some other things. I'll put it to you this way. The last, um, the last course I took, it was of really any kind of gardening or permaculture, was Her- Howard Garrett's uh, organic certification class, and that's like six years ago. Uh, I tend to teach more classes than I take at this point in my life, and Helen is amazing. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, we're also going to talk more about SKIP, which is Skills to Inherit Property. We'll probably talk about some rocket stove stuff, the coming winter, the fuel shortages, and how rocket heating technology might play into that, and quite a bit more. And our sponsor today, today since Paul is on, is Paul Wheaton, and particularly his uh, Kickstarter, the Garden Master Kickstarter. Here's a couple things to think about with this, and I won't go long because we're going to talk about this program today, but there's a ton of freebies if you uh, back the Kickstarter over 100 bucks. All of the stretch goals have been met that have been set. I'm not even sure where he's at. Last time I checked, it was over 75000 They had they had raised. So if you are in it like 50 bucks or whatever, like a little bit more, hitting that $100 supporter will get you a ton more value for your money. So you'll get um, an upgrade to how you'll receive the course. Plus you'll get like, I won't even get into it, just a ton of other stuff. Plus this is really worth doing. Uh, there's a reason this is Paul's quickest to fully backed Kickstarter he's ever done because it's just that good. So do consider backing it or increasing your backing, especially if you're under that $100 mark. Uh, next up, I, I usually save my T-SPAS product of the day for the end, but Paul and I tend to go long. Some of you guys kind of like tune out at the end. So I wanted to uh, bring this to your attention today. Uh, my T-SPAS item of the day is the same one as yesterday. It's the Anker, A-N-K-E-R, Soundcore Watertooth Bluetooth Speaker. This is a 12-watt speaker. That doesn't sound like a lot, but it is a loud little speaker. It is a rugged little speaker. Uh, it said it's IPX7 waterproof. That means it's supposed to be able to get thrown in a pool. So I threw one in the pool. I don't advise you to do it, but it worked. My wife drove over one with our Subaru. I don't advise you to do that, but it survived. It did dent the uh, the screen, though. It was not intentional. I left it on the Subaru. That's part of why I like less expensive Bluetooth speakers. I tend to leave things in places, like where they get rained on or driven over by a wife. And uh, so I have this really badass-sounding, like really badass-sounding Bose speaker. It's like a $300 speaker. It kind of stays in the house. I'm just saying. I don't take it places. I don't go fishing with it. But what's really cool about the Soundcore speakers is you can pair two of them, so now you've got 24 total watts of power, and you've got stereo sound. I've done this 
with watching TV in bed and put one on each of our dressers, right? Because we have Bluetooth off that uh, that TV. The main place I use the stereo is the I have a set, and I'll take them out to the pool or to my back shop because I have AV in my garage shop, but my back shop has no AV, so I'll take it out there. Or when I'm working in my garden, I have these big tall poles where my trellises are. I'll put one on each side. I've got surround sound in the garden. And if I forget it and it rains, it survives. They just need to be charged again. Anchor is the company I've sold the most electronic stuff for. I have sold thousands of these speakers, probably tens of thousands of Anchor products. No complaints. There's a reason. So you can find out about this by going to the survivalpodcast.com and just looking under today's episode. Uh, the write-up on them will be right there. Or go to tspaz.com. Whenever you're going to shop online, you'll help support the show and the work that we do. And we're less than 60 days to Christmas now. It's the 26th of October. Christmas is the 25th of December. I know many of you know that, but I'm putting you in touch with the fact we're down under two months. This is a fantastic gift. And no matter what you buy, remember, if you start your shopping online, especially all the Christmas shopping is about to come up, if you start at tspaz.com, T-S-P-A-Z.com, you'll help support the show and the work that we do. With that, let's drop into the live feed with Mr. Paul Wheaton, a.k.a. the Duke of Permaculture. And with that, we are live. Before I introduce our special guest, as always, let me give you my disclaimer. We, meaning me or Paul, will never contact you for any personal information or private chat, etc., in the video comments. Just because you see my logo does not mean it's me. In fact, I guarantee you, if it's asking you for things like your personal WhatsApp connection or something like that, it's not. I do not have a backup account on Instagram, etc., If you want to talk to me, send me an email. If you can't figure out my email, most public email on the planet, you don't get to talk to me. But if you're not using email and direct communications, assume it's not me and the person asking you for Bitcoin information, like your private seed phrase is just trying to rip you off. With that, I want to introduce our special guest today, Paul, the Duke of Permaculture himself, Wheaton. Paul, welcome back to TSPC. Thanks for having me back, Jack. I am. Dance. I am stoked to have you. I don't know about dancing. I'm in my seat, so but I am pretty stoked to have you back on. Um, let's give the, uh, the the brief introduction. I've already referred to you as the giant Yeti from Montana, uh, so you can leave that part out. But for for anybody who's been under a rock or something and has never heard of a Paul Wheaton before, what is a Paul Wheaton? Where does we where do we find one, and what does a Paul Wheaton do? Oh, you're asking me a question. Uh, yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> Introduce oh, yourself to the new people. I'm a giant doofus in Montana, and it's kind of <laughs> funny, too. Like, uh, when people meet me in person, it's it's like, well, I heard you were big. I didn't realize you were this big. I am I am the height of Michael Jordan, but I, I, I sport a lot of natural insulation that he doesn't have. <laughs> so, there, there's actually a picture of me, you, and somebody else. I don't remember who. And I've yeah. used it in presentations in PowerPoint decks of what terracing on a slope looks like. <laughs> so it's you, it's me, and it's this other person because I'm not exactly small. And so, it's like we're uh, standing, and we were standing on a slope, a slight slope, so it makes it more dramatic. And it's like just a step <laughs> down of heads. So uh, I have a place in Montana. We have had a lot of TSP people out here. Um And once in a while, we remember to record a podcast and put a T the TSP person in it. Um, but a lot of people who love you come out here. And uh, we have, I don't know, you have not, you, Jack, have not been out here for 
nine years. It's been so nine years. Here's the deal, Paul. Like I haven't been there in nine years, and you've been here never. You That's, owe me one. That is, that is true. I I was in your neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, uh, earlier this year, and we could yeah. have we could have stacked some functions and stuff like that. But uh, uh, you'd have been yeah. welcome. Uh, another time, there's there's another organization in Texas that's uh, talking to my peeps about me coming out, and I said, "Yeah, that'd be cool." And so they're working out the deets now. Uh, so maybe I'll be in your neighborhood again. Um, I, I recommend the spring, the winter, or November for a workshop. I do not recommend midsummer for you. I think you'll die. I think you'll there. just get off the plane. I'll come to pick you up, and you'll fall over and die right on the sidewalk. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember waiting for my ride at the airport and it was like, wow, this is hot. And that was in the spring. That was spring. Yeah, yeah. That was, that was early spring. That was practically winter here, dude. Yeah. But you had just come from probably where it was like five below zero or something. And they're like, there, there is when you have like a, a 90 degree temperature swing, it, it, it has an impact. Hey, anyway, man, um, let's lead off with talking about your Kickstarter. So I'm going to tell you now something. That unless maybe Bo listened to an episode and told you I've said this, that you probably don't know. I haven't taken anybody else's course on anything like how to garden or anything like that since I took Howard Garrett's Dirt Doctor course on the Texas Organic Certification like six years ago. I'm a pretty good gardener, pretty good soil maker, not exactly the guy that's excited about sitting down and listening to somebody else tell me how to garden. I'm personally freaking stoked about taking Helen's course because I know who she is and what she's about. And I believe she's actually one of the people out there that can really teach me things I don't know. I'm the old dog looking to learn some new tricks. And I think that what you've been able to put together with her is pretty incredible. So tell people about exactly kind of what this is all about, this new Kickstarter. And not so much the Kickstarter itself yet, but the course. Start with the course. So uh, I think it's fair to say, because I get asked, like, when I get interviewed a lot, they always say, well, how did you start? And I always start with the story of gardening. And so I, I grew a garden, I think it was in 1993, and pretty much everything died. And I became obsessed with gardening. I read over a 100 gardening books. And in 1996, I felt like it was time to, be, you know, go through the Master Gardener certification. Um, I showed up to the course thinking that I knew 90% of what there was to know about gardening, um, I immediately learned that I have no idea what the hell I'm talking about. So, um, I was immediately humbled, um, on the first 10 minutes of the course, uh, whew, I, I, I finished the course and it was a mad scramble for, cause there's, there was a test at the end and I barely passed, uh, and and I walked out of the course thinking I don't even know one percent of what there is to know about gardening. So after reading more than a hundred gardening books, I was humbled from ninety percent thinking I knew ninety percent down to I don't even know one percent of what there is to know about gardening. Helen taught that course, and then as I traveled and visited with other master gardeners, <clears throat> I learned that. The master gardening course that I took was far richer, was far more intense than what they took. They felt that what they took was weak. I mean, you know, I talked about like, well, yeah, you learn this stuff, you know, in your master gardening course, right? And like, no, we didn't learn anything like that. So um, uh, I would have to say that for a lot of people, it might be too much. 
Uh, but it's recorded and you can watch it over and over and over again. Uh, I thought a really delightful part was, is that Alan Booker, who teaches our PDCs here, attended the course. And, uh, and he's from your neck of the woods, uh, from Alabama. Um, and so, uh, he's, he's gonna, he's far more savvy with the things more to the south than here in Montana. Yeah. Um, but he peppered Helen with awesome questions and kind of filled in some permaculture stuff here and there. Now, Helen's fairly savvy with permaculture stuff, but, oh, and this is the sweetest part. She was an intern with Masanobu Fukuoka in Japan. And, and it's like, so she's got all these great Fukuoka stories, but Basically, the work that she has done since then has all been like trying to expand on what Fukuoka did. But with a, a, she believes that her focus is in food production. So she's been doing market gardening all this time, as well as teaching master gardener courses and the like. Um, but so, so her focus is big on food production and food quality marketable stuff. So her peppers, there's, we have some images of like her peppers are being just giant, these huge sweet peppers that are bright red. And, um, uh, so she believes that she's taken Fukuoka's stuff and gone in a direction that Fukuoka wasn't in, but Fukuoka's rice crops were in the 95th percentile in production without any pesticides. So anytime anybody says, Oh, if it wasn't for, um, uh, uh, petroleum based fertilizers, 75% of the world's population would starve to death. That's bullshit. And Fukuoka proved it decades ago as his production was in the highest 5% per acre of food production. So it's kind of like, no, uh, uh, you know, that, that whole message about how people are going to die without petroleum based fertilizers is, is proven wrong by Fukuoka. And then Helen is stating that uh, her focus is on higher food production than that. Mm. So now keep in mind, Fukuoka also had orchards. Um, and by orchards, I don't, orchards is not the right word. Food forests. He grew fruit. He yes. grew fruit trees, right? Let's put it that way. Yes. Right? Yes. And he's Later got her plantings. He's got a long list of alternative views on how to do that. And his views are remarkably similar to those views of Sepp Holzer. Now, um, it's, it's, uh, you know, I'm going to hold you there just a second. Actually, when I was with you in Montana and we had that picture of the heads going down and all, and I watched the pattern of where the trees went versus the Hoogle mounds, I immediately snapped to that. Like, okay, this is not Fukuoka because it's not Japan. It's not rice and it's Montana and there's giant Hoogle mounds. But the pattern of the dispersal of the way the plantings were done immediately, I, I had actually read One Straw Revolution again on the plane on the way up there. And I'm like, this is totally like a, a Fukuoka-esque design that he's doing here. I was just going to say, remember the time that we were there and Seth yes. was there and, uh, uh, and then I asked the question and I, and I said, Seth, a lot of your stuff is remarkably similar to um, Fukuoka. And I know that you each developed your stuff independently of each other without yeah. knowing about the other person existing. And now you're aware of his stuff 
do you have any feedback? <laughs> of course. <laughs> Sep. Sep is very Sep-like. And, and it's yeah. like, you can't know what that means until you've met him. But, uh, he wanted to point out that the, about Sep, cause, cause Sep doesn't do seed balls. Yeah. But, but, uh, there was a big project where Fukuoka seed balls were dropped out of an airplane and Sep needed to point out that that project failed. And, uh, but that's yeah. kind of, that's a little Sepish. Uh, I, I remember when Sep I'll, I'll called me. Two words, two words, Austrian German. <laughs> precise. It is precise and it is specific. If there's one difference, it's not the same. And analogies don't work well with that mindset. Like the, like this is like that is not, this is the same as that. I, I'm wondering if maybe they don't have a word in the Austrian German dialect for like or similar to. They only have same. I think that might be maybe even in translation. Maybe that's a problem. Here's a totally unrelated story because this is how our shit goes, right? So I have this really, (laughs) really wonderful uh, restaurant. I don't want to call it Mexican because it's really El Salvadoran, but they make margaritas. Okay. And when you've been with me when I get a margarita, like if it comes to a journey class, like take that away. That's not a margarita. You don't know what you're doing. They're almost there, except they have this obsessive compulsive need to sweeten shit that doesn't need sweetening. So they put agave syrup in the margarita. So what I love about this place is all I have to say is bring me your top shelf margarita, no agave. And we're good. And about one in 10 times, I would get this very confused server who would like try to explain to me that's not what I wanted. And that I really wanted a skinny. No, no, no. I want this. And we finally figured out what it was. They do hire a lot of folks that are Hispanic and, you know, they try to do that. And, um, sometimes there's a bit of a language barrier and they thought I was asking for a margarita with tequila that had no agave in the tequila. So as soon as we added the word syrup, the problem went away. And I wonder sometimes with Sep if the like or similar to is, see what I mean? Like, I do. Yeah. Now, when you were there, when you and I were there and, and Sep was there, then, um, uh, somehow, uh, cause I had met Sep before and we'd gotten yeah. to be besties years, yeah. years earlier. And, uh, and so, but there's this whole weird thing where he's only allowed to be out with the rest of us limited hours because something about his health. And, yeah. uh, but at least that's what the translators said. And I don't really know, but, yeah. uh, he, ha- he would have dinner separate from the rest of us. And so there was one night where I was summoned to have Ooh. dinner with Sep. And so at this dinner, one of the translators, remember Emo? Yeah. Uh, one of the translators, he said, yeah. uh, he was trying to explain to Sep what a rocket mass heater was. Uh, and, and then Sep says, no, 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 that's impossible. They don't exist. That's okay. a, that's a fiction that this crazy giant man sa- is saying. There's one and, right here. And then, uh, <laughs> <ooh>. <laughs> so then, so then Emo explains some more. Yeah. And then Sep goes, ah, ah. And then, and then apparently what he said is, of course it exists. He invented it. Uh, yes, he invented everything. <laughs> he invented rice crispy treats. Yeah, yeah, everything. <laughs> everything. And he is a genius. It is yeah. remarkable what he has done. Yeah. However, and I am curious about what kind of wood-burning thing did he make that he believes is a rocket mass heater, but <clears throat> that's another story for another yeah. day. All right, Helen, Helen teaching yeah. – this course. The actual subject we started on. Let's, let's go there. Yeah. And, and I got it. And so the, 
that was in 1996. Okay. The, the course, of course, was, was powerful and amazing. And I think it was, I don't know, I'm going to say 2010 or so. And I think when I took the course, that was her first course, that I took her advanced master gardener course. And then, um, and then time passed and I went to Colorado and then I worked contracts around the United States as a software engineer. And, uh, then I came back to the whole permaculture thing and I came back to Missoula and then, uh, Ellen was teaching her last ever, uh, uh, master gardener course. And of course, an important thing to say right here, this, this thing that I find so frustrating is that, uh, because I got to talk to her then and I told her about my interest in permaculture and she told me about Fukuoka and stuff, but she went to go teach the master gardener course and I, and it's kind of like, uh, and my, my philosophy said about horticulture changed a lot over the years. And I knew that a master gardener course is very um, uh, petroleum-based, very uh, pesticides-based. And that's because it's taught by an extension of the uh, ag university. And uh, the Ag University functions with uh, a lot of uh, influence, shall we say, from Kim Ag. And, and that comes down. And so that basically, she said, the leash gets tighter every year on what she's allowed to say during Ooh. the Master Gardener training. And <clears throat> it becomes more challenging and more challenging and more challenging. And uh, And so finally, she was like, I'm out of here. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Because all this time, she would simultaneously be doing her own market garden, which is way beyond organic. And um, the data that she has, because that's the other thing, too, is she's a scientist. She submits white papers every year about different research that she's done for different universities on her farm. And um, so... Uh, she's like, I, I just, I can't say the things anymore that I'm required to say. And I'm, it's like, an, and I'm, I'm, I'm trapped. Now, when I first took it, the lease was much looser. But when I took yeah. her last one, it's like, um, oh, wow. But I was going to say, not even that long ago, when I started the show, I used to tell people, if you go take a master gardener course, there's a lot of stuff you can toss out, but there's a lot of good stuff there. And that's 14 years ago. That's not all the way back to 96. That's 14 years ago. And today I'd say don't even bother. Get get Paul's Kickstarter. That's what I'd say today. <laughs> and so here's what we did is, I mean, she loved teaching the course, but she was too frustrated by the leash. Yeah. And, and so – I basically talked to her about the idea of come to my place, teach the course, but leave out all the stuff you don't like and add in all the stuff you do. And, um, and so then she started. The other thing is, is that when you would take her course, you would get this binder that's like what? That's six or seven inches thick of all of her notes. And then, um, and she rehashed those notes every year. So every master gardener course was better by like 
10 or 20 or even 30% better than the previous year, while at the same time getting like 10% more restricted on what she's allowed to talk about. So the thing is, is that her note, her, 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 her big binder was now twice as big when I took the course in like 2010. And so she, uh, as I would talk to her about this possibility of this course to teach here, she started writing a book. She started taking all of her notes and mashing it into this book. So this book is about to come out, like I think in about four months or something from Chelsea Green. And I, I suspect it'll be giant. It'll be a big, giant, huge, thick book. But um, uh, as part of it, she's been like polishing up the course and stuff like that. And so um, uh, the, the, the thing is, is she finally did it. We re- She came out here to teach it. We managed to record it by the skin on our teeth. We, we kind of put it out live so that way people could come over a Zoom call and be able to see her teach it live. This was last January. And, uh, but we recorded it in HD as well. And then <clears throat> when the whole event was over, it's like, okay, here's what we've got. And this guy kind of started putting it together and, and he was able to edit, uh, edit it up. So it was actually very handsome. So that's kind of what the Kickstarter was for is to pay this guy to finish all the editing. And he's, and now that the Kickstarter has been funded, he's currently doing the editing. Okay. And we're, we're hoping that within a month, after the Kickstarter is done, that we'll be able to get all of that video to everybody. So, yes, she came out, taught a full week of a Garden Master course. That's what we call it, is the Garden Master course. Because, of course, I haven't looked it up, but I'm sure Master Gardener is trademarked. Like, oh, so we just flip the words around and then screw them. Something right? like that. And there's nothing they can do, right? Like, yeah. So... <laughs> A lot of emphasis on market gardening, a lot of emphasis on commercial food forests, uh, a lot of emphasis on growing uh, enormous amounts of food. Um, and But it's like at the same time, take all of these techniques that she uses and you can scale them to your homestead or scale them. I mean, basically, the thing that makes it so you can get twice as much food for one-tenth the effort is knowledge. It's just the stuff in your head. Now, granted, Jack, I'm not sure how much you're going to enjoy it because most of this stuff is going to be warmer climates. Now, she has done a lot in California. You mean colder climates? Yes. Yeah. I do. You're right. You're right. So, so of course, (laughs) she's from Missoula, right? And so she's done tons and tons here. She has done stuff in Colorado. She managed a 2,000-acre organic farm in Colorado. She also has done a lot in California, so a warmer climate. But it wasn't like Southern California. It was like Central California. So she's pretty savvy. But basically everything that she does is going to be for a colder climate. She talks about warmer climate stuff a little bit. But... The bottom line is, is there's a huge amount that's about, so for example, a lot is done in like detecting uh, nutrient deficiencies in your plants. And also there's a lot of stuff of like, oh, do you have an insect problem or a fungus problem or something like that? And it's like, here is what we did to totally reverse that and how we went from having that problem 
to like that problem is entirely eliminated. And there, and, and all, all, even more, there are pesticides that are OMRI certified. So organic, organic authorized pesticides. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't use those either. And so everything is about like <clears throat> kind of a Sepulcher style or a Fukuoka style, which is that if there is something out of balance, then you will see that. And when you see things out of balance, that is a note to you that you need to figure out how to bring balance back. And you don't bring balance back by introducing any kind of pesticide, including OMRI certified pesticides. So she's also uh, an entomologist. Um, that was, I think, like her master's degree may have been in entomology. And so when it, so she does a lot of study with insects. All right. You asked me a very simple question, like what is in the course? Yeah. I want to go on for seven more hours, but <clears throat> I think that might be too much. Okay. So let's start off real quick. Let's hit this one. I usually do the questions at the end because we were just hitting on this and let's expand it just a little bit. Would the course work for any climate? My, my answer personally, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but after listening to you, it would be absolutely. One thing I know about Helen, she kind of reminds me of a more proactive version of Elaine Ingham in, in some ways in that she's very scientific and she's very soil focused. So soil health is the, is the solution to your problems in the tropics, the semi-tropics, the temperate regions, the cold temperate, the warm temperate, everything. It's always down to soil health. That's, that's always where we have to build the root, uh, pun intended, of everything that we do. If you have unhealthy soil, you have unhealthy plants. And if you have healthy soil, you have healthy plants. Now, I'm going to deal a lot more with stressors that aggravate circumstances due to heat. You're going to deal probably with more stressors that are aggravated by, let's say, um, cold like early yeah. season cold, early cold coming in toward the end of the season, strategies and need for that. But in the end, you care for soil, you care for plants. And our job, in my opinion, is our job is not to even take care of plants. Our job is not to feed plants. We feed soil, soil feeds plants, and soil cares for plants. And then we harvest plants, we maintain plants. Like I think a good permaculture system, 90% of human labor in that system is used to maintain an edge. That's actually what your function is, right? And part of the way we maintain an edge is we take stuff away and we eat it. Part of the way we maintain an edge is we plant other things that keep this thing from going there. And so I would guess this would be valuable to anybody. I I think a big part of it is, and I think a big, I, I sat in on the whole course. Okay. And so in the video, there's me asking her questions as well as Alan Booker and all the rest of the students too. Um, and, uh, there was a fair bit done with, with uh, Broadacre as well, but most of it was going to be more for uh, market gardening and home gardens. Sure. Um, but building the soil. And uh, I her approach is very much like, because I think a lot of people, when they talk about building the soil, you focus on, I need to add carbon to the soil. Sure. And the more carbon I add, and I need to have more biological activity in the, in the soil. Um, by the way, the microscopes come out. You mentioned Elaine Ingham. And um, so in, in, in a rather Elaine Ingham-esque way, microscope comes out. Now let's, let's take a look at what's on the microscope and talk about what we see here. Um, but Helen's approach to building soil is 
in order to build soil, you have to have living root in that soil. Without living root, you cannot build the soil. And I don't fully 100% agree with that, but I think, man, that might not be the only thing, and she doesn't say it's the only thing, but um, I, I could see... I could see an argument that that is the number one thing. That I would say if you have if you have healthy soil with root in it, you're always building soil. That's right. True. There might be other ways to build soil, but if you have root in the soil, you're building soil, especially if you have succession in that rooting system. I think I think an important thing that I learned from her class in 1996 is that um, if you're a farmer and you have two percent organic matter, you are very happy. And if you are a gardener, 2% organic matter is shit. And Correct. It's like, and so you want 10% organic matter. Yeah. And it's like, okay, so how do you get there? <clears throat> now, here's another thing, too. Uh, I I can't believe that my peeps at permies.com pulled this off. But they did, and I'm so happy because about 10 years ago, Helen and I recorded a podcast that was a review of a 60-minute movie called hands-on agronomy. And in this, in our review, we both agree that basically it's like getting a bachelor's degree in soil science compacted into 60 minutes. And so we have this podcast that's like two hours long talking about all the details from this. But basically, hands-on agronomy, um, I mean, you're familiar with NPK. Everybody listening to this knows about NPK. But uh, this is more of a calcium approach, and NPK takes a backseat to the calcium levels in your soil. It's a different form of soil science, um, <clears throat> and it's brilliant. It's brilliant. But the cool thing is, is that we managed to get hands-on agronomy, this 60-minute movie, into the digital market at permies.com. And we got the creators of it to agree to making it uh, our very first stretch goal item. So uh, right now, everybody who backs the Kickstarter at 100 bucks or more gets like, I think it's like nine bonus things. And one of those is the hands-on agronomy movie. So for 100 bucks, you get the, the full uh, Garden Master course, all the video of the Garden Master course. And this amazing 60-minute-long movie. This this movie is phenomenal. It's excellent. Um, and I encourage everybody to go listen to that podcast where Helen and I reviewed it 10 years ago. Um, <clears throat> but we were talking about building soil. And and now most of your farmers and your soil scientists, they're, they're focused on NPK, calcium, micronutrients, things like that, and, of course, organic matter. But to build build soil, to build organic matter in the soil comes with a lot of things. Oh, and another thing is, is that my own philosophy set, which Helen and I debate about all the damn time, and that is that every time you till, you lose 30% of your organic matter. Every time. And it's like you put so much work into building your organic matter, why would you ever till and lose so much of your organic matter? Um, and And so... I, I kind of feel like as a gardener, what we need to do is to develop gardens in such a way that we do not lose organic matter. Now, the first year after you till, everything does really great because you just killed 30% of your biological activity. So there's 
all these dead bodies in the soil, which are now plant food. And that's why uh, your garden does so great after you till. You got all sorts of air in there, all these microbial dead bodies to be food. Man, your crops just love that. But every time you, you, you till over and over and over again in time, your, your soil turns into something resembling cement. So I'm, I suspect I have wandered way off into the weeds. <laughs> no, no, you, 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 I mean, you're, you're hitting it dead on, honestly. I think that like the calcium thing is interesting to me. We noticed right when we started growing stuff on this property, calcium deficiencies everywhere. Well, the, the soil is limestone soil. There's calcium yeah. everywhere. But the calcium was not bioavailable for two reasons. One, the land had been just decimated by the way it was treated. But two, we were actually deficient in magnesium. So the plants need, like, you can have lots of calcium if you have, only need a small trace amount of magnesium. But if you're magnesium deficient, the plant will sit on calcium and not get the calcium it needs. And it also, and I'm sure this movie covers it, it needs the soil biological activity for the exudates to to do their thing, but we did this tiny bit of supplementation of magnesium and everything went freaking crazy. It was that simple. It was like iron and zinc is the same thing. You have one and not the other. And in that case, it's not just plants, it's humans. You don't, you have to have iron and zinc together or you can't get good uptake of them. And, and with humans, you can end up actually, you can have too much iron. Now we're, segueing again, but you have too much iron because you don't have enough zinc to actually get rid of the excess iron. It's it's a weird thing, like the way all these things work in combination. Uh, let's try to sound track. Um, how long <laughs> does this Kickstarter have before people lose the opportunity to back it and get all the goodies? I think I think it's like got about two weeks left to go. Um, so okay. we're right in the middle of it. Uh, this is this has been my most funded Kickstarter to date. Uh, and this is my 12th Kickstarter. And of course, you, Jack, have, have supported like what every one, maybe most the of first them. one. Most yeah. of them. I think you asked me to support one one time and it was like a day before it started and I had like 800 things going on and I'm like, dude, I, I think it was like two days from a workshop or something. I'm like, dude, I, yeah. I'm spent right now. But yeah, this one I had a good, uh, foreknowledge of. So I was able to, get some things in place. But like, I remember I woke up and I, yeah, Paul launches a Kickstarter today. I pulled it up. It's funded. It funded in like <laughs> an hour or something. It was like some ridiculous, yeah. like, I think it was funded before it was public. I, I, <laughs> I mean, honestly. Then, uh, uh, well, we, we did something uh, this year where we, we encouraged people to, to, uh, you could, there's a thing in Kickstarter before a Kickstarter starts where they could go in and, and click on a thing to say, Notify me on launch. And, uh, so we encourage people to do that a lot. And we had something like 1300 people that did that. And so, yeah, it was, and when our email system, uh, takes like 12 to 16 hours to send an email out to everybody, mm. whereas Kickstarter sends it out like instantly. Instantly. And, and so, uh, we had, anyway, um, yeah, we got funded super fast i i can't even remember if it was within an hour it probably was it was so crazy fast and um 
Uh, we're, we're breaking records all the time with this Kickstarter, uh, for us anyway, not for Kickstarter. No, I understand <laughs> what you mean. No, but, but I mean, you've got some really successful stuff in the past. And the, the thing that I thought was impressive is you kept adding the stretch goals. It was like stretch goal, smash, stretch goal, smash, stretch goal, smash, like instant. Like I think one of them you got up there and it was like, just put the other one up because it was like, <laughs> by the time you got it up there, it was already, the money was all, like, you were like a hundred bucks away or something. And we're scrambling to come up with the stretch goals. And it's like, uh, uh, you know, big shout out to the staff at permies.com who are helping so much with this uh, whole project. And, um, uh, it's, uh, but we were also getting contacted by people who have digital content and they're like, Hey, can I get in on this? Can I do a stretch goal too? And, uh, uh, Robert Kurek, the author of, uh, Roots Demystified has a new book called Lazy Ass Gardening. And he, and he, that was our last stretch goal that we put up. It's up there now. Uh, and so I don't know. I think our stretch goal stuff is really, really amazing. And it's really showing, uh, the, this, this great community of authors and filmmakers and, and stuff like that who are, Putting their stuff into the stretch goals is is just been I don't know it's just been fun when you have so much support from so many people uh, and and it's fun I recommend everybody go out and do a Kickstarter because it just feels good when you're getting so funded and yeah. uh, uh, I don't know we get so many people and it, like the numbers go so high it's just exciting. So let's, let's shift a little bit and talk about why Kickstarter in the first place. Like I think if, if you went out on the interwebs and said, I'm Paul Wheaton, I got this thing and, and Helen taught it and you just give me the monies and we will give you the things that that would happen. And then Kickstarter comes along and says, we will help you with that, but we will take our portion of the monies, which I don't have a problem with because when someone brings value to the, 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 the party, then they should receive some portion of, of, of the value. Like, if Kickstarter brought no value, it it wouldn't exist in 2022, right? It would be gone. Um, but what makes you personally choose for all these initiatives, all your plans for, for, for fertile world domination, why do you always run them through Kickstarter? I would have to say that, um, I mean, it is a world domination thing. And uh, I am constantly trying to in- – Affect uh, like a hundred million brains with our stuff. Um, I want to make things really easy and delightful for every homesteader out there, and I also want to affect global change. Well, to see to do things my way, of course, it's the best. But with Kickstarter, if we do really well, then we show up on the Kickstarter homepage. And then a lot of people that are coming out to Kickstarter for other reasons, whatever it is, then we get into their face. We, 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 we capture more brains. And it seems like that's kind of perpetually what we're trying to do is, is how do we infect more brains with our stuff? And, um, so with Kickstarter, we can do that. Now, does Kickstarter give us, cause they take 5%. Okay. Um, that's not horrible. Uh, yeah. Uh, so then the question is, is like, do they authentically bring us 5% more? Because they'll, they'll list off 40 different ways that they brought people to your Kickstarter. They'll give you a report. Yeah. And it's like, 
Yeah, you said search, but if they search for my name in order to be able to do this, I don't think that that counts. I think that they no. heard about the Kickstarter someplace else, and then they, you know, but uh, so there's a bunch of things where it's like, I don't think you can count that one, but there are a lot of places where I think, no, that's legit. And like when we first got started and we got super funded right in the very beginning, we did make the front page of Kickstarter, and then we saw a whole lot of people who backed the Kickstarter that were that were coming from that. And so um, I think there's there's that. So does Kickstarter earn their five percent? And I would say yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and, and Brand- like to kind of stack that up though, because I want to shift also to like how do you how do you run a successful Kickstarter? Because we have several people asking that question here. Ooh. And here's an interesting thing. I think when you have something really cool and really different and really unique and with lots of value, if you can hit that, we fund fast, we get the association type thing going, then you can do well. Because I noticed when I backed yours, there were some associated projects. And not oh. not saying that yours is that great when I say this. It's a total separate judgment. They were all crap. <laughs> they were all garbage. It was like, you know, a little thing to do uh, hydroponics, which I'm a hydroponics guy, but I'm like, I, I really think I can make a piece of plastic that holds a plant over a cup on my own. I don't think I need to back this Hong Kong company's Kickstarter to to, to be able, well, you can grow it on a jar or, a, you know, a, a, a soup can or whatever. Yeah, like freaking net cups do that right now. Like there, it was just, and then it was like a little indoor uh, aquaponics thing, and as an aquaponics guy, I'm like, that's total crap, and it won't work, right? So, like, if you're getting that associated exposure, and yours is actually valuable, and then you're sitting next to crap, you'll probably do good. I'm just saying, like, the person, because the person like me is like, if I see somebody doing something really good, and I believe in it, I'll throw some money at it. I have no problem with it, but I'm like, crap, 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 crap different i'm going to examine different and i think that's one of the keys to your success because you are different i mean i'm just saying a little bit tiny bit (laughs) (laughs) thank you jack (laughs) (laughs) um i i have bought a lot of stuff off of kickstarter over the years i think i've backed 50 different yeah 51 backed i've backed 51 different kickstarters over the years and i have some stuff that i think is really cool that i got which is I can't, it's not available anywhere. Um, like I've, I've searched all over the internet to find more of the things that I got over Kickstarter and they're not available. I can't find them. And it's like the thing I have is cooler than what I can find. So, um, I think it's worth going and checking around. And I kind of feel like in order for me to learn about Kickstarter, I backed a lot of Kickstarters to kind of get the lay of the land and, a, and, and an understanding of how to do this. Um, I, I have to say, that me doing well with Kickstarter. So my advice to all the people that are thinking about doing a Kickstarter is step one, do what Jack says. Okay. <laughs> you do, you remember, do you remember like 11 or 12 years ago, you called me on the oh, phone. Yeah. like every I know where you're month, going now. And every month you'd say, dude, you got to start a mailing list. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd say, I'm busy. What would yeah. I do with it? I, and so you were, you harassed me. Now, not everybody listening to this podcast is going to get personal harassment from no. Jack Spirko. No. But 
I am not kidding. It's like my phone would ring and I'd look down to see who it is. And it's like, ah, shit. (laughs) (laughs) I know what he's going to say. So I take the call and it's like, I know, I know, I haven't done it. (laughs) And and you'd say the same thing every time. Well, then do it right now while I'm on the call. It's easier than you think. And so... Finally, well, the reason I did that is I knew how much you were throwing away, and that's the way I would describe it. Like, you're throwing this away. I'm like, you don't understand. You've already cost yourself a million dollars in revenue. You already have, and you're bleeding revenue every day because if you don't own your database, you don't own your customers. And that's a really hard thing for people to get their head around. And I think because social media is so dominant today, et cetera, that people – have gone like I think we we solved that problem in people's heads and people started using uh, email lists uh, more effectively and then everything kind of moved over to Facebook and Twitter and all that and then people were like oh nobody cares no email is that direct line you have to have that so I finally did what Jack told me to do <laughs> okay and and I gotta say that really the biggest part of this has to do with that. And, and another part of Jack's advice that was just critical to making that work, because right when I started it, I immediately started getting flooded with people telling me what to do and what to say and what to think and what, and Jack told me to tell them all to fuck off. All those people. <laughs> I did. I yeah. Did. One at a time. <laughs> and, and to say no. And, and it's like, and, and you got to do your own batshit crazy thing. Whatever is the thing that you think is cool, be you. you do that. And and it's yeah. like, uh, uh, don't don't be somebody's personal bitch. Don't be <laughs> don't try to please everybody. Please yourself. And and so I went and did my own silly thing, and it has been glorious. And still, we get once in a while somebody saying, "You can't do that. You can't say that. You're doing it all wrong." And, uh, and then I remember Jack's words. <laughs> ban so, early and ban fast. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and now I have this massive audience of people who think that the way we're doing it is awesome. And then we get this. So we've got this massive pile of people that are like, this is awesome. And then you get this one person showing up. It's like, you're doing it all wrong. You're not saying things the way I want you to say them. Stop using the full beauty of the English language. Have have it. I need to shame you. Shame. My church taught me how to shame people. So I'm here to shame you. And so. Anyway, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's what we, what we refer to, John Willis and I, as unfuckwithable, right? Like, you, like <laughs> because I built everything on who I am, like, if you yeah. go, so did you know that Jack Spirico said, like, all of my peeps are like, that sounds like Jack. Yeah, so what's the problem? <laughs> so, but, but he, go away. Go yeah. away. Where if you build yourself on, you know, uh, uh, Michael Fortin, uh, great copywriter. His shit converts, but, and he gives you these templates and this course and how, but it's not that it doesn't work. It's that it's not, it's not regenerative, right? If you want to think about it that way, like you will, you will wear out your market with it because you're mining. Like I, I often describe modern agriculture 
or if we're going to distribute the surplus, that's called mining. If we take away from the place that we're growing the food all the surplus, then we have nothing to go back in and make it grow more. We're not cultivating, we're mining. Growing up in central Pennsylvania, I know what mining looks like. It's absolutely awful. It destroys everything. I know places where a hundred years from now will still be black dirt, five feet thick from coal slush breakers. Like I, and nothing will grow there unless heroic measures are taken. I know what mining does. That's what you're doing when you use those types of copywriting techniques to sell a thing. You will sell it to a person who will not understand why they're buying it. You're using You know, people ask me, what are your tips and tricks for marketing? I don't do tips and tricks. I'm not a freaking illusionist. I'm not a, I'm not a magician. Like, ooh, look, there's a pretty girl. Ooh, buy the thing, right? That is very short-term thinking. If you cultivate a relationship on the idea of, I like this big goofy fuck in overalls. Like, he's cool, and I like him, and I like what he does, and I want him to succeed. And then you'll be like, well, I'm going to buy this thing because he said to buy it, but what is it? And then you'll understand it because you'll take the time because I'm not trying to get you to buy it now. Buy now, buy now. But wait, there's more. We're not using that Billy Mays shit, right? (laughs) And so the person is intimately familiar with the product and the personality. So then you end up in a regenerative environment where they're like, they tell their friends about you and eight of their friends are like, fuck this guy. And they don't get upset about it. They just tell that ninth one who then kind of joins the party. And, I, and you got to start from the very beginning with that mindset that I'm always going to be me. And I know that's, you know, that's what do you call it, trite or cliche or whatever, but it's it's what works because you're I, not going to be craft foods and you don't want to be. And I don't mean their their model, I mean their size. You're not going to be a monolith on it, like because craft foods could go out and 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 like throw uh, baby seals in a freaking leaf. Shredder, and they're still going to be on every shelf in America. They're not going to go all away. You don't have that. You have to earn your place as being different. I, I've been thinking of it as a little bit as find value in being petty. And it seems like for years I didn't want to be petty. And, and so I made choices. Like I don't want anybody to think I'm petty. And, and then, uh, I think it was about six or seven years ago that I decided, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and be petty. Uh, It's like, I I just, there's too much happening all at once. And I, and, and trying to appear not petty to people, you know, that might possibly say it is like too much work. And it's like, um, and and I think there's a lot to be said for a embrace your gut, embrace your intuition and embrace. I don't feel like it. And, and it's like, you know, I, I like to think, and, and this is, this is part of it. I think at permies.com, we, we bend over backwards to help people start their, uh, homesteading business, especially if it's going to be passive income. We do all kinds of things to help people. I mean, the, I bet I could spend, I bet I could fill eight hours just talking about all the different things. We've got our digital market. We've set it up with a rich affiliate program. We've got, just and, and people are putting their content in there, so you get there's tons of content to pick from. So you know, hey everybody, come put your digital content in our digital market. And uh, plus, on top of that, there's a lot of places where you can put your digital content, and they take ten percent. Permies.com takes one percent, but we're also picky about what content appears. It's got to be something to do with homesteading or permaculture. 
anyway, that, 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 that's the whole thing. Now, I started off like 10 minutes ago saying there's two steps to having a great Kickstarter. One, do what Jack says. And that was about setting up that mailing list. That That was a big, big thing there. Number two, give stuff away for free. Help people. So, Jack, you're giving away this podcast totally for free. You're, you're, you're giving it to people. There's all kinds of content you put out all the time completely for free for people. There's 95% all- of what I put out is free. Exactly. And we do the same thing at Permies. There's tons of stuff I've put together that I've given out for free over the ages. But um, I, it seems like when I run into people that are like, I want to make money. I want to do it like Jack or or in this case, you're asking me the question, how to do a successful Kickstarter, that they want to do it like me. And it's kind of like, and they they don't. What they do is they're like, I'm going to put up a thing, tell everybody to send me a million dollars, and then I'm going to have a million dollars, and I'm going to tell them to go rot. <laughs> and it's kind of like, uh, yeah, then you're surprised when you get zero monies. And, and it's kind of like, no, it's it's about the work. you got to put skin in the game. And, and not only that, but I, I was putting up YouTube videos before YouTube had any kind of money that came back. I, I think I hit about a hundred videos by the time YouTube said, Hey, do you want us to give you some money for those videos? And, and it's like, and then it was this whole new thing of getting money from it. Share stuff for free because it's cool, because people will like it, because you're helping people help people. And, and so. That's, that's the, that's the, the other piece, the second piece. If you go and you help thousands of people, tens of thousands of people, maybe eventually millions of people, then when the time comes that you say, okay, I'm going to put together a thing that's made up of a lot of these free pieces, but I'm going to put it together in such a way that it might be a thing that could be sold, like on a shelf somewhere. And I'm going to do a Kickstarter. Then you'll then find you'll that find your the, audience, the audience jumps in and helps you out. So it'll be delicious and delightful and wonderful. And the skip book is an excellent example. It's like, why, why they're saying you should do a Kickstarter for a physical book. And we're giving all the, if you go to purbies.com slash skip, it's all there for free. It's all now, the whole free. book is a download for free right now. Go get it. Well, no, not that, okay. but okay. the content of the book. As the skip program, it's all free. People said, okay. we want you to make a book mm-hmm. and of all this free stuff and we'll buy that. And it's kind of like, why would you buy a book of stuff that's free? And, and the people said uh, that, that they would. And so we did the Kickstarter and, and yes, $150,000 later, uh, Okay, uh, they were they were right. I was dumb. <laughs> Fine, it all worked out great. So, um, but all of Skip is still available for free. Uh, we did use funds from the Kickstarter to to add a whole bunch of cool features to our software, so to make Skip even easier and faster and better to use. Uh, I uh, I think the last of those improvements went in a few weeks ago. So yay, um, free. Stuff for free. Jack, okay. would you agree with my analysis? I, I would agree. I would absolutely agree that, um, and that's how you build brand and you build affiliation and you build your own army of people that love what you do and support you is by giving so much before you ever ask for anything back. Like, um, 
we used to have this thing and my wife would get pissed at me because I would just say it all the time to get it into her head and the kid's head. And it was more to get a thing mechanistically done, but it was also a philosophy. So we had a, uh, we have, we still have our Berkey water filter and we had all these uh, aluminum bottles with the lids that were in the refrigerator. And then that way that there was cold water at all times. And, but the rule was when the bottle was empty, you went to the faucet and you filled it back up and you dumped it in the top of the Berkey and then you filled the bottle from the bottom of the Berkey. And I used to say, you have to give before you take to the point where they got like, oh, shut up. I'm like, we'll fill the bottles up. Well, I did fill the bottle up, but you didn't put the water in the top. So now the Berkey's going to be empty. And then we're going to have to wait for the, so if we would all do this, then we would never run out of water and we'd all have all the clean, healthy water we could possibly want out of the Berkey. And that is the same philosophy that, that, that you take to marketing. What I would add to it is you need to be a little uncomfortable with your price. You need to feel that you're asking a little too much or you're probably underselling your product. And at the same time, I want you to think of your grandmother or your grandfather or some other sweet little old lady or little old man that you knew in your life. And it's not them because you would be so tempted to just give them the thing, right? You wouldn't take their money. But the, right. think of my, meeting somebody that completely reminds you of them. And they say, I bought your thing. You should still feel good about yourself. You should be like, great. I'm glad you bought that thing. I'm glad you got the value that I offered. You shouldn't feel like, damn, I should have took that person's money. So you should be uncomfortable with the price you're charging a little bit, at least in the beginning. I think over time we get pretty good at understanding pricing curves. Even if we don't use marketing terminology, we understand that there has to be a, a like if you actually have to charge enough so that people see value when you start selling a thing, if you sell something too cheap, nobody will buy it. They're like, it can't be worth anything or you wouldn't ask five bucks for it. So, and there's a point when you make a pricing curve where you charge a certain amount, a certain amount, you, you peak and then you go over the curve to the backside a little bit and then it drops off. If you do it perfect, you're right on where the, right where the hill starts to go down the other side, because all those people you were talking about earlier that tell you how you're doing it wrong, they're the first ones to leave. When the oh, price yeah. goes up 1%, the people that leave over a 1% price increase, you don't want them. They're in the way of all the customers you want to take care of. But at the same time, you want to feel like, yeah, like personal, it's just like your grandma comes up to you and goes, Mr. Wheaton, I bought your, your gardening course. You know, you're going to think that's great. She's going to have an awesome garden. She's going to be teaching her kids how to do this or her grandkids how to do this. And so that's what I would add to it. And, and like, but build the empire first. People go to Kickstarter. They have no, they have no method to prime the pump. So you know how wells work, right? You put the well in, oh, yeah. right? You stick, if you just take the, the pump, stick it on top of the well and turn it on, what happens? Nothing. Right? <laughs> you can sit there and manually pump or an electric pump or whatever, squirrels running a turbine, whatever it is, and nothing comes out. You have to do what? You have to put water down the well and fill the well to the head. And then when you turn the pump, the well will give you all the water forever. And so many people get into any of these things and think because it's Kickstarter or any other platform, since there's other people there, I'll put it out there and then people will come and then the cricket sounds come and no, no people and no monies. So everybody I've seen ever look like an overnight success was actually they built this whole career. I remember when Jeff did his first PDC, multi-million dollar sales. And people like, wow, yes. like, no, the guy gave, like literally bled permaculture for 20 years for free almost, you know, other than yeah. PDCs. Like, and then he actually said, I'm going to do a thing. Yeah. And so that's, that's the approach I think you have to take. I, 
I know that in my earliest Kickstarters, in fact, uh, uh, you helped me a lot with my first big Kickstarter, which is the one about the, uh, the Rocket Mask Eater, uh, movies. Um, that was many years ago. Uh, and I, I offered those four movies for a hundred bucks. And it was somewhere around, uh, probably Kickstarter number six or so that I came to the conclusion of like, you know what? The people who back my Kickstarter are saying, I trust you, Paul. I'm going to give you money now. And I know I won't see a thing for five months. Yeah. And, and I, and I feel, I feel so deeply grateful for that, that, that people are that kind and, and are that trusting in me, um, that I feel like I want those people to have a way, 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 way better dealio than the people who waited until the product was out. So sure. I, I then started making it so that for every Kickstarter I do, the product is way cheaper. So you were saying price it so that it has value. And, and I think it's, it's probable that when I do a Kickstarter, I price it way too low. And, um, and then on top of that, we pile on a bunch of other stuff. So yeah. like, uh, um, I, I feel like at this point, I like that we pile on so much stuff and we make the price low because basically for a hundred bucks right now, you get all of that video of the course. Now, if you were to go and, and get this course online, I'm, I'm sure it would be at least six hundred, seven hundred dollars. Easy. Uh, yeah. Easy. And so I, I feel like, like this is better than the $700 course and it's a hundred dollars and you're going to get all this other stuff with it too. Well, I look at it like investing, right? So my advice on the pricing curve and all that's really more general business advice on any product, yes. whether it's physical or non-physical Kickstarter. I'm making an investment in Wheaton labs. That's what I'm doing when I invest in, in, in Kickstarter. So as an investor, my ROI as an early pioneer investor who's taking all the risk compared to the person that's like, oh, this is a product. I'll buy it and hit download and I'll have it. My ROI should be higher. And I so think- we're on to something there, Paul, where you need to treat your tribe that comes into something like a Kickstarter the way you would treat, you know, a round of angel investors that comes in on a first funding layer and says, oh, you want to put in a uh, centrifuge at Witten Labs to to turn, I don't know, soybeans into biofuel or whatever the hell it is. Like, that's not something you're going to do. But if it was something that big, obviously you would know that that early investor it would expect a hell of a lot higher of an ROI on their their investment because that early investor is, like, basically going to invest in 10 companies and those nine will lose out of every 10. And they only need one to hit to get the ROI. So you have to kind of, like, it's a different world. It's, like, sort of similar, like we were talking about step earlier, not the same as. But that, that early investor should do better than the person that buys into your IPO two years down the line. And it's that same kind of cultivation that these people are coming with me for the ride because I backed that as much because I wanted to see it as because I wanted it to be a thing. I want it to be available as an evergreen product long term for other people who are not here now. You I, know? 
I think that with the funds that we get from these Kickstarters, <clears throat> it does not only does it does it fund things at permies.com like new software development and people we have to pay some people to do the dirty jobs around permies.com that the other that the all volunteer staff doesn't want to do. Yeah. So we've kind of got a little bit of that. Um but here here at my place at Wheaton Labs, I don't know if you saw the tour movie. Um, I, I know I sent you a, a free copy of it, but I also know you're very busy. Yeah, I didn't but, get to watch it. Okay, all right. But uh, I kind of feel like the number of innovations that we have every year is is very significant, and they're pretty profound innovations. Um, the Truly Passive Greenhouse. Uh, this last uh, summer, we uh, or no, it was last it was last year actually. Uh, one year ago, we finished up the uh, solar food dehydrator with Rocket Assist. Uh, this summer, we had a fascinating thing happen. We had a ceramicist here. And the way we use the rocket stuff to be able to uh, make a kiln, um, and uh, but we 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 got to high kiln heat, high heat, uh, with just a few sticks of wood, um, which apparently people are able to do low kiln heat with wood in the past, but it would take like they would have to burn half a cord to a cord of wood in one go to get mm-hmm. there, and we did it with just a few sticks. So, uh, it was like, it, it made like all the news for all the ceramicists across the globe that we, we accomplished this. Um, I don't know, the, the, the innovations that we did just in the last year are huge and profound. And, uh, and these Kickstarters give us our operating capital to continue doing more and more. Uh, so, um, yeah, there's, there's that. Now, earlier, you asked the question, how, to do a good Kickstarter. So give stuff away for free. Yep. Do the mailing list thing and anything Jack says. All right. Uh, <laughs> I, I would have to say that another big one that I see people trying to do Kickstarters and it's like, that's, that's not going to work is that, um, they don't have any skin in the game when the Kickstarter starts. So mm. it's basically like, yeah, give me a lot of money and maybe I'll do a thing. And it's okay. like, that's not what Kickstarter's for. Yeah. Kickstarter is for like, I made a prototype and I got this far, but in order yeah. to take it into production, I need like 40 grand to like have, have a, a million of them made or something, uh, you know, for a lot lower cost per unit than these prototypes. These prototypes are yeah. very expensive per unit, but if enough people buy it in advance, then I can have the big leap. All they have of forms this. and molds or whatever it is made where I can go into production with a gizmo, yes. right? Which, which traditionally we would go to a bank. And yes. so remember people, remember the words of Uncle Paul. Every time a Kickstarter is funded, a banker gets a kick in the nuts. <laughs> I think I would agree with that because you're on the hook for product or service to your, your backers. Yeah. Versus, you know, seven and a half percent interest compounded annually over three years to a banker who honestly doesn't care if you fail as long as there's enough collateral to cover the loan. Who, by the way, printed the money on your promise to pay it. That's something like we might get people listening to this that don't listen to my shows on finance and economics and things like that. But when you go to a bank and you say and Paul goes to the bank and says, I want to do this thing for world domination, the bankers, I don't care. Show me a yeah. financial statement. Right. So they get a financial statement and they go, yeah, if I repossess 
Wheaton Labs in, 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 the, in the mountaintop estate, there's hundreds of thousands of dollars in real value there. So, yeah, I'll give you a hundred grand. Now, what people think happens is the banker, you know, he writes a check and hands it to Paul. But the, metaphorically, they go into a drawer and they take out stacks of hundreds signified by and they give you money. They don't give you any money. The bank takes no money out of their deposits. They use their deposits as a reserve to issue a check against nothing, which literally creates $100,000 in new money. It is not just the government that prints money. And if there's anybody out there that's thinking, I don't know who this dude is. I'm listening to this podcast because Paul Wheaton said he's cool. He's clearly <laughs> lost his in mind. He has no idea what he's talking about. I want you to go to Google, and I want you to search for the term modern Money Mechanics, St. Louis Federal Reserve, and from the Federal Reserve itself, you will find in that document, it's only a few pages, this is exactly how loans work in a fractional yep. reserve system, and they, to quote, they said, if not, no new money would be created. So you're, you are literally taking away from the banker not just the ability to earn interest, but to print money with you as human collateral on your promise to repay money that never even existed until you promised to pay it back. I think, I think that <clears throat> continuing on with the Kickstarter stuff and what all to do, I think. Okay, I'll sit back on the subject. <laughs> when you set out how much money you're looking for, you yeah. don't pay yourself at all. No. That's not what this is no. about. You get, no. so I'm getting, so when I set out, here's how much money I need to pull this thing off. I got, I would get zero. In fact, in order to pull it off, I have to go into the red to pull it off that's that's a good kickstarter mm. but i do have people that i gotta pay i got a bunch of expenses i got a bunch of things i gotta pay out in order to pull the thing off so it's kind of like uh too many kickstarters it's like uh uh okay uh if you give me this money then i'll pay myself for the next uh four months to make a thing which i'll then turn to this and then you know and it's kind of like nope nope that's not how it works that's not how it works you gotta, not only do you have skin in the game up to this point, like you've already made the prototype, <clears throat> but in order to see it through to the end, if you get barely funded, that's gonna be a brutal five months. Yes. As, as you're pouring money in and you're not getting paid a damn thing until the product comes out at the other end. And it's like, that's Kickstarter, baby. Um, I know you're not a TV guy, but have you ever watched the TV show Shark Tank? No. It, it's uh -huh. where these investors like Mark Cuban and uh, I can't think of his name, Mr. Wonderful, Kevin O'Leary, all these guys that are billionaires. They sit in these chairs and these people come in and go, I have this thing and this is my business and uh, I need money to take it to the next level. And these are like angel investor type things. And one of the questions that will often come up is, well, what are you going to do with the money? And I guarantee you when that person says, I'm going to take my salary out of part of it, they're not getting the money. And the other question that comes in, so how much of your own money have you put into this up to this point? Yeah. Right? And that's what they want to know. Like, I'm not paying your salary for you to work for the next year. That's not, right. I want to know why you're going to use this money. And it's the same type of mindset. I, I know you're not a big TV guy, but if you're going to watch a thing that's on mainstream television, it might be the single most useful thing for people that want to learn how to build a business to watch. And I think you need to watch like the first couple seasons of it. It's like 10 years old now and you're good. Cause it's all the same. It's the same regurgitated thing over and over, but you have a person come in and they'll say, well, I want 10%. Uh, I want I want a hundred thousand dollars for 10% of my business. And they do their whole throw up pitch. Right. 
And so then one of the sharks will go, so you valued your business at a million dollars. And it doesn't happen much anymore because people going on the show, like, watch the show before they go on the show now. Oh. But in the beginning, like, they're giant eyes. Well, no, I, yeah, you want 10% of your business for $100,000, so you valued the business at a million dollars. And the person no, well, it will be. No, 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 I'm paying what it's worth today. I'm your investor. And that's what you're bringing into a Kickstarter, like, I have an idea, I have a prototype, I've gotten this far with it, I need you to invest in it so we can take it across the line. I So I love Kickstarter um, because, yeah, it takes you over the line and yeah. um, all, all of the things you just said. But now, um, I'm not sure if I've ever shared this on your show, but okay. I know that you were in the audience in Texas, and I and I'm pretty sure I shared it then, but... You know about that thing about how there was uh, one time somebody said that my place is a cult, um, and then and, and, and then I'm like, okay, we're a we're a gardening cult, and then yeah. then somebody else says you can't call yourself a cult. You don't. You have to have a religious element. Okay. So, so I made one up. Oh, I, I can't remember this, but I do remember the talk. Okay. What was if the religion? If you're good, then oh, yeah. when you die. <laughs> You get seasons two through ten of Firefly. <laughs> that's my cult. Hey, and that's, that's a, a haiku. That's a cult <laughs> and a haiku. That's right. When you started saying it, I had a flashback and I remembered okay. it. Yeah. All right. So you're saying like I don't hardly watch any shows. Well, I've seen Firefly. <laughs> I, I think I get the joke though. There isn't ten seasons, and everybody was mad when they canceled it. Is that the joke? That's what it is. Everybody. So if I if I'm good when I die, I get the shows they should have made because, and I know that from Big Bang Theory that they stopped making it and it made all the nerds mad. That's all I know. <laughs> so you've never seen it. I've never seen it. Well, when I heard that everybody was disappointed that they stopped making it, I thought there was nothing in it for me in watching it. I don't want. I'm not mad about it. So all I get by watching it is mad. <laughs> that they didn't make more, right? I get to be angry about right. making Trillion losing his job or whatever. So, so what we need is all the people in the chat to uh, to type something about whether or not you think Jack should watch this show. Oh, it won't work. <laughs> they they got on me for years about Princess Bride. <laughs> people sent me freaking like you're an '80s kid and you didn't watch Princess Bride. I had I have like 20 DVDs of the Princess Bride. The people randomly sent to my house. I can't even get rid of them all. And finally, I'm like, if you shut up, if you will all shut up, I will watch The Princess Bride. So I did. And it is it is like 96 minutes of my life that I will never get back. It's gone. It's 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 lost. It's I knew all the, the little sayings out of it, and they were all funny. And when I watched them, like, this is a terrible movie. This is you stupid. Like the I did not like Bride? it, no. I could have been like I don't know cracking walnuts or something with that time. I now they're all mad at me again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm a little sad. Yeah. I, the Princess Bride is beautiful. So, I did right. though. Then after I watched it, I've actually seen it twice because I had the grandkids <laughs> over for a night, and I'm like maybe they'll like it. Turns out kids like it. They like it. <laughs> okay. And it wasn't as bad the second time because I watched it. Maybe the key is you got to watch it with your kids if you're like in your fifties and you 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 never saw it. I guess. 
See, now they're all quoting the movie. Anyway, let's get back to talking about permaculture and Kickstarters. So I think we've hit, like, the keys to a successful Kickstarter, and I think that I'll add one, and then we'll move on to some other stuff. Start small. I remember your first Kickstarter. It was basically I need to buy a bunch of light bulbs and some test equipment, and I need, like, a thousand bucks to prove that all you need to do to save electricity, and I believe I'm putting you perfectly, is instead of worrying about a fluorescent bulb, when you leave the room, turn the fucking light off. And that was like your first Kickstarter, and I think you needed like 1100 bucks or something, and you did that one first, and I'm like, why the hell would you do a Kickstarter for a grand? And then I saw your second Kickstarter, and like by your second or third one, you were buying this giant side of a mountain, and I, oh, I see what he did there. Like, instead of trying to go, like, come out of the gate and try to raise a half a million dollars. Right. And, and some of these people that do that, by the way, that come out of the gate and do that, when you see yeah. them on like Good Morning America and shit like that, they hired PR firms. These are corporations. Oh, okay. They're, it, it's like comparing what Paul and I do with podcasting to when some Fox News personality says they have a podcast. It's not the same. Paul did this from the ground up. And that's what I saw you do is stair step it. Across time. First, you learn the system. You got your people that were willing to support you trained in how to use the system. You expanded <laughs> your little cult of the firefly, <laughs> right? And then you ramped up from there, right? So you learn the system by not asking for that much. Because honestly, if you ask for a grand in total Kickstarter, yeah. and, and if you have a, a sizable family and friends and you can't get a thousand bucks, you did something wrong, right? You did something <laughs> wrong. Like, if you're my nephew and you, I'll throw you a couple hundred bucks in your kicks. I mean, like, I'm not even like, well, what is it? Like, I don't care, Andy. Here you go. Just go away and don't ask me for anything else. Like, so if you can't get to a grand or two, you probably got work to do. So then you'll, you'll take a low risk and then you learn your craft and then you go from there. I think that would be a good way to, to look at this. So yeah, the first Kickstarter I ever did, uh, it was for, I asked for $800 to get the materials and stuff to be able to make a YouTube video about light bulbs. Yep. That and, was it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, um, and so I did, I think I ended up getting $1,100, but I learned how Kickstarter works. Yeah. That was the reason why I did it was to kind of learn how to use this tool. Um, and then my next Kickstarter, uh, I got, I think it was $95,000. And, um, uh, I believe about $12,000 came from, uh, TSP. And so, um, uh, but that one was kind of an odd, odd duck because I'd recorded all this video of this rocket mass heater event and, uh, people were, because people said that they wanted to get a recording and I'm kind of like, what am I going to do with this video now? I mean, there's 24 hours of raw footage what do I do? And they're like, oh, you know, put it on a DVD. And it's like, how many, that would be 12 DVDs. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. so I set up the Kickstarter and said I needed $18,000 to put it on DVDs. I'd edit it down and condense it to fit onto four. And, um, <clears throat> and I thought no one would pay enough to do it. And then I'd be off the hook. <laughs> and instead I got $95,000. People yeah. really wanted it. So it's like, uh, we, we did it. We did the editing and everything. Uh, and it was, it was a great success. So, uh, and then I've learned more and more and more. In fact, I wrote a, I, 
uh, I think during the uh, Building a Better World book Kickstarter, uh, I kept a detailed day-to-day diary of all the Kickstarter stuff that I did and what I was thinking and what we tried and, and what worked and what did. And that remains up until this moment to be the Kickstarter that brought in the most money ever. And I put it into a book, uh, a, a crappy uh, draft ebook called Kickstarter Techniques, which is available on permies.com. So if people are thinking of doing this, you might want to check it out. I got to say, we've had probably 50 different people who have done Kickstarters and, and we've thrown love their way. Uh, so, uh, they, they set up a thread at Permies and they, they, you know, talking about their Kickstarter with links to their Kickstarter and stuff. And, and we'll send out emails to our peeps and let people know that this is going on, that this, somebody else's Kickstarter is going on. You know, and just talking about momentum. So your first Kickstarter, you raised 1100 bucks. You, yeah. you went for 800 to make a video about light bulbs. Right before we started, I said you were just under 82,000. I said that to you offline. You're at, uh, or, I'm sorry, you were just under 80,000. And you're at 82,32 now. You, you, you've raised more money on your current midterm Kickstarter in the hour and 20 minutes that we've been sitting here bullshitting than you did on your entire first Kickstarter. And that so the reason true. I point that out isn't just to, uh, to to pat you on the back, your big old Yeti back. Uh, it is more to set the stage for people as to understanding when it comes to building these types of businesses, what what starting small leads to. If you had never made the light bulb one or something of that level, a couple grand, five grand, 800 bucks, whatever, you probably would not have this one running right now. Like you got to take that first step. And if you take too big a first step, you usually fall on your face. You know, I mean, that's that's something that people don't. And it's okay to fall on your face, but like, don't yeah. don't set it as a goal. Don't like, you know, if you're gonna like, I remember as a little kid, I got hurt doing stuff, and the, my dad talked to me and said, if you're gonna, you're gonna jump off shit, like jump off something like a foot, and keep going a little higher until it hurts, and when it hurts, stop. Don't don't start <laughs> from the roof, right, and then go like swan dive down, like like scale into things. Um, and, and I think it's really cool that you've been able to do this uh, over the years. Now, you mentioned the rocket mass heater. You and I have this ongoing debate. Let's talk about it a little bit here. Um, I will say that I think that you are in love with rocket mass heating, and I get why. I think it's amazing technology. Right. I think there's this the belief that you have that it will take over the world, and I think the average person sitting in a 3-2 ranch home is not, 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 not going to retrofit a rocket mass heater into their house. And I'll say that because, so yesterday I brought a Bluetooth speaker out for sale as an affiliate. I thought that was really cool. I sold more Bluetooth speakers yesterday than I've sold rocket mass heater stuff for you since you started it. Right? Like, like it's, 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 I, I love the tech, but I think there's some things holding it back. And I wonder how yeah. do we get around that? Cause I, I'm, I want to see your vision of this cause I get what it does. I, I have to admit that <clears throat> when somebody first told me about rocket mass heater stuff, I was, I was like, there's no way. There is no way. And, uh, so, uh, I went and it was 2009, like, I think it was January of 2009. I went to a place where they had rocket mass heaters and I looked at them and I saw, and at the time I was living in a place where I was heating it with wood. 
So I knew exactly how much wood I was packing into that house every day yeah. in order to keep it heated with wood. And um, so I went to Oregon, and um, I I saw a whole bunch of rocket mass heaters that had been built in 2009, and I got to operate a bunch of them. And it's like, son of a bitch, this is the weirdest fucking thing. <laughs> and um, the fire burns sideways, even though you're looking down at the fire through a hole. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, how is it not coming up into my face? And it's because it's drawing so much air in, so mm-hmm. much air. And if you if if you do it wrong, then you start to get smoke. Yeah. So it's kind of like you're going to do it right. Yeah. You're going to operate it correctly. Yeah. And it's like, um, uh, and it's like there was so little wood, and then the fire goes out, and it's like 12 hours later, and it's still warm. Yeah. But not only is there snow outside the window, but it's a single pane window, and with a with like a half inch gap underneath the bottom of the window. It's like this shittiest window installation I've ever seen. And it's like, but they don't, they don't care. They're plenty warm. Why do you, why do we put in double pane windows correctly? And it's like, because we want to live in a Ziploc bag holding all the heat in. And these guys pointed out, like, you really want to be living with all your halitosis and farts. Like, you know, and, and you ever like, read Bill Mollison's stuff on that on the ultra insulated homes that started growing mushrooms? I know these timber I frame homes somewhere in, in like it's in that, that it's like a 150 page document that's from Barking Frogs if it's still around. It was a okay. lecture he gave, and some somebody dealt with transcribing every word he said, which is wow. insane. Like you had to have like the ability to translate from Australian to insanity to English to do this, and they did it. And in it, he talks about how there were these houses, they super insulated. And then one day they look up on like, cause you know, you don't have to seal the log inside the house. It's all dry in there. And they had freaking like oyster mushrooms or something, some sort of fungus growing on the wood inside the house because of lack of circulation. Anyway, you come back. So, um, I, I basically, I, I, I want to talk about this moment in time for hours, but. Okay. The important thing is, is that I, um, uh, I said to him, why, why aren't there millions or hundreds of millions of people using this? Why don't more people know? And their response was, I don't know. We just build them. And, and so, <laughs> oh. I, I, yeah. And it's like, well, we've told some people. Yeah. We told some people. You know, <laughs> Well, and, and it was like hardly anybody knew about these. And so I pulled out a shitty camera that I had with me and it was one of my earliest YouTube videos. And there right. was nothing on YouTube about these because I looked to try to learn about them and there was nothing. So I put up a, a video. I think I put up like three or four videos that I took there on this really awful camera to show rocket mass heaters and like hope. And I thought maybe people will learn about them. And it's like, now it's here. It is uh, uh, thirteen years later. Is that right? Am I doing my math yeah. correctly? Thirteen yes, years later, and it. um, and it's like it's been an uphill battle. It's been a little bit, a bit like Sisyphus, really. And um, and it's like, why aren't people doing this? I have more than a dozen of them here at my place right now. 
you know, like one in this house and one in the next building and one in the classroom and one down in the wood shop. And it's like, it, it is bizarre how well it works. I'll give you a few things. One are codes, and you can say that there's now cores that are code. Okay, there are places, I, I said this to you in an email today, like I, 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 I've seen situations where they do a remodel in the northeastern United States where codes are super crazy, and the guy's like, I want to add a window to this wall. Well, you can't. Well, why not? Well, there's a limit on how many windows you can have. You can put a window in. you got to take another window out. Well, where does this code come from? High-density um, populations, like more windows equals faster spread of fire. Okay, but my house is in the middle of a two-acre field. Yeah, but yeah. that's the code, right? So you got codes. Let me, I got a ban of porn spammer here real quick, Paul. Um, so, um, because yeah, I mean, this is a place to push your porn. Anyway, so like there's that. Then I don't know if you've ever heard of this thing before. There's this thing called a spouse. And, and it probably comes down <laughs> more on this side, the, the one that's called a wife, right? Right, right, uh, right, and, right. And so like I want to put this, this, it'll be great. It'll be like a couch and it'll be a thermal mass and no, you're not. So there's that. And then there's this, you know, if you go look, the average home in America today is a three or four two. They're all laid out about the same. You know, when the, and, and this is interesting when they tell you, like, well, if a tornado comes, go to the, the, the most centered room with the most walls. Well, there isn't one, right? All these houses are exactly the same way they're designed. They're not exactly laid out to where you're like, you know what? I'm going to put one of these things here. This giant, huge apparatus. So I think that, like, if you're building a new house and you don't cons at least consider this, I think you're nuts if you live anywhere except where it doesn't ever get cold. Um, but if you're trying to retrofit this into the 130 million owner-occupied structures in America, I think it's a very uphill battle. And I think that's why you get so little, I would say little traction, why you don't get as much traction as, as you understanding how great it is would expect. And if anybody um, feels that way, let Paul know. I mean, if, if, if anybody out there in the live stream right now, I got like 60 some odd people here. Like, is that maybe why you haven't, you know, oh, done this? Oh no, I I would say that there's a very powerful cognitive dissonance issue going on, and um, uh, I and I, and I kind of feel like um, uh, I need, you know, I can address every last thing that you're saying. Uh, okay. Um, and the, I, one of the things I want to point out is that in Missouri, you can get the Liberator rocket heater right now. It's a commercial UL listed product. Okay. So that'll get you past a, a lot of the issues. Um, there are more than a hundred thousand, um, conventional wood stoves that are still sold every year. And so it's kind of like, wow, why would you get a conventional wood stove when you could get a rocket mass heater? Or, or if you can't do a rocket mass heater, how about just a rocket heater? You know, because okay. like with with the rocket heaters, you because I get a stove and I stick it in here and I plug it into the chimney and I turn it on and it works, and I don't have a giant fifty five gallon drum sitting in the middle of my my living room. That and again, I will refer you to the handbook of having a wife. And so then the idea with the rocket heater, which is a very handsome thing, uh, uh, you got a supporter here from, from Sarah. She says, "I'm the wife, and it's on the house to do list." So the, the, the liberator, I mean, I, this is, this is a thing that happened about a month ago. Okay. Um, we got word that people in Europe are going to be freezing to death this winter. Correct. And I just saw something today 
where apparently all the wood stoves in Europe have been sold. They are sold out and they can't make them fast enough. And on top of that, people are going onto private property and stealing wood for their wood stoves. Yeah. And the list of, uh, crime, crime is on the grow in, um, uh, Europe right now because people are freaking out that they're going to die. And so it's like, and I mean, like this scenario has Jack Spirico written all over it. The thing that is frustrating to me is that they're about to die and they won't even talk about a rocket mass here. Now, if you're going to die, how much do you give a flying fuck about what some regulator says? I mean, I, I kind of feel like, in fact, my, the thing I say every time when we start talking about regulators and codes and insurance um, first of all, <clears throat> rocket mass heaters are in more than half the codes right now. And okay. uh, almost half of insurers now will insure rocket mass heaters. They like rocket mass heaters more than natural gas heat. And so they'll give you better rates. But let's let's just take a breath here for just a second. And, and I want to I want to say, no, no, I agree. Nobody, nobody should put a rocket mass heater into their home. Until the government says it's okay. Just like what you did with pot. Everybody listening to this show, nobody had any pot whatsoever until the government said it was okay. Now I'm a little baffled at why the government said it was okay. It wasn't because nobody was using pot. Nobody. Not a soul. Not a single. Have you ever sold, have you ever sold a house? in your life to a person that needed to get a mortgage and they send this guy yeah. so that that person can get the mortgage called a home inspector true who, who inspects the house and then sends it to the underwriter to determine whether the person that wishes to buy your house from you can get a house. There's things you can do to a house mm-hmm. that if they're not done right, effectively strands you with the house and you're unable to unask the house, even though the other party would love to buy it. Here's an example. I wanted to buy a house when we moved here. It was a dome house. It was actually <laughs> really cool. It was a, it looked like outer space. It was a giant dome and three little domes with connectors. It could have got hit with a nuclear bomb and I would have been sitting in there smoking a cigar and drinking a cognac. It certainly wouldn't have given a damn if it got hit by a a hurricane. The person that was selling it wanted $265,000 for it. I looked at the kitchen and went, this is a $100,000 kitchen in a $265,000 house with seven acres and two ponds. Yeah. I wouldn't live on this rocky place if they, but I could not secure funding to buy the house because the mortgage underwriter would not issue a mortgage against it. So, it's right. not about, like, I guarantee you, you're talking to a group of people right now that will break every law that will not send them to federal prison for the rest of their life, right? Like, that, that would be like the, like, there's a threshold here, but getting a fine from a guy with a pocket protector. So, Screwing uh, my ability to move my house, that's a diff- you're asking for somebody to take a financial risk that is probably bad. I would have to say that in that particular scenario, I would build a pebble-style rocket mass heater. The okay. reason being is that um, you can take it apart and put it on a truck in under an hour. Okay. Fair and, enough. Uh, and it's like and then you can go and, and rebuild it somewhere else in an hour and a half. 
Okay. So it's kind of like, all right, you want to sell your house later? No problem. Just take okay. it out. You can also take you. it out and put it in the barn and let the guy buy the house and he can put it back in. Sure. So that, yeah, sure. Yeah. I want it, Which but is, the guy, guy's going to come and yeah. All right. Another, another excellent point is that like, let's say a person lives someplace and they, they are going to be extremely obedient to all the codes and insurances and stuff like that. And it's like, you can build one outside. You can build one of these outside. Okay. The only place you cannot is in San Francisco, like the city of San Francisco. But outside okay. of the city of San Francisco, you, you can build these in the United States outside. Uh, the, the, the key is, is that now it's just a butt warmer, you know? You okay. can go out there, you, you know, and in a couple of places in order for it to be fully legal, you're going to have to, whenever you fire it up, you're going to have to have some marshmallow sticks and a couple of marshmallows handy. Okay. And that's like, but for most places, you don't even need the marshmallows. And okay. then you basically have an outdoor butt warmer. Now, you might start to build a little bit of a shed around it or whatever. I don't know. It doesn't matter. The thing <laughs> is is that fire marshals love rocket mass heaters. Okay. And, and the reason why is that they hate conventional wood stoves. And the reason why they hate conventional wood stoves is that – they're sick to death of pulling dead bodies out of buildings that have burned up because of a chimney fire. A rocket mass heater domesticates the chimney fire. It has an intentional chimney fire with every burn inside the riser that's, that's in it. So it's, so a conventional wood stove gets to a temperature of about a thousand degrees and creosote builds up in the chimney. Whereas a rocket mass heater pushes for 2000 degrees using the creosote as fuel for the fire. This is how a rocket mass heater actually burns more efficiently than your conventional wood stove. Now, I, I got to say, like, now you're bringing up some very good points, and I believe I'm mm -hmm. addressing them. You know, I'm knocking it out of the park, addressing every one of them. Now, the number one thing that people bring up is they march down to the wood stove store, and a lot of the wood stoves say that they have an efficiency of 75%. And Paul Wheaton says that you're going to heat your home with one-tenth of wood. Therefore, Paul Wheaton is a fucking liar because how are you going to get one-tenth of wood when you can only get, like, 25% better? Are you claiming that you can, you know, run a heater at 750% efficiency? <clears throat> no, I, that, I got that one for you. 75% of what? <laughs> right? That, that, that's marketing 101. Uh, burns faster uh, burns hotter, faster than, faster than, hotter than what? 75% of what? So 75% of the expected 100% exactly. efficiency, right? Like exactly. I, I, I got you on that one. There's, there's all kinds of interesting bits and bobs and I wouldn't even yeah. call them lies. Yeah. There's all kinds of interesting stuff in that number, 75%. But the very, very, very short version is most people operate that 75% efficient wood stove at 3% efficiency at night. And what they do is they, they okay. turn the dampers way down, they put a green log on, and they hope it burns all night, and then they go to bed. So they're operating that 75% efficient wood stove. And I want to say 75% efficient with quote marks. I got you. Because um, where's your one? What, what, do you, what if you made your baseline one? That's, that, and so – I come from a marketing background and a corporate background and like, so I would always say to my boss's boss when they had to go somewhere and make a presentation 
and I would be doing some sort of collateral for them. What do you want it to look like? What do you want the graph to look like? <laughs> what, what kind of growth? You, well, I want it to be. No, I can make it look like whatever you want. Well, I don't want to lie. Well, I'm so, not going to lie. I'm going to yeah. play with some baseline numbers. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, play with the graph. I'm going to condense it or expand. What do you want it to look like? So I can make 75% look like whatever you want it to look like. So, so I got Mark Twain. Mark Twain says there's three kinds of lies. I bet you know this one. Yeah. There's lies. Lies, lies and statistics. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Right. So there's a lot of cleverness. And that number, 75. Then the next thing is, is that they're sending 350 to 600 degrees out the roof. Whereas a rocket mass heater, we're generally more in the 100 to 160 range. And so it's kind of like we're keeping a lot. So it's easy to beat a conventional wood stove. Now, granted, when it comes to marketing, I think we would have 10 times more buy-in to rocket mass heaters right now if we said you can heat your home with half the wood. But the truth is you can heat your home with one-tenth the wood. And so uh, I've had – But that would mean you can – you could heat your home with half the wood. It wouldn't be a lie to say no, that. Right? That's true. That's you need to learn some marketing. Right? Like that's <laughs> – No, no, you're right. You're right. And yet – when I saw my first rocket mass heater, I was absolutely baffled at the teeny tiny speck of wood being used to heat it every day while there yeah. was snow on the ground outside. Yeah. And it's kind of like, really? That's, that's it. That's all. And it's like, hang around a few days. See what you think. You know, don't trust us. You know, do it yourself. And so I did. did ask, is there a way to put a rocket mass heater outside and heat the inside? There, like there are people a that have boiler done that. methodology, like um, I, I don't know, like I mean, growing up in PA, we we heated with coal furnace and radiators. That that water ran through the radiators. So There's I mean, all kinds of things that all kinds of people have done. That also sounds like a way you could blow things up if you didn't do it right. Like water Use- creates this thing called steam, and steam has this thing called pressure, and pressure has a way of finding a weak spot and going kaboom. <laughs> and uh, in the uh, so so in that first four movie set because yeah. you backs you you brought you got your audience to back my Kickstarter by for twelve thousand dollars out of ninety five thousand. Then when you watch those movies, then at the very first few seconds of playing each of the movies, it says Supreme Executive Producer with bacon cheese and sparkles, Jack Spearco. That's and all me, man. On, on movie number three of that, uh, the third one's called Boom Squish. And it's all about exactly what you just said. Yep. And it's like you try heating water with wood. You really want to do it as an unpressurized system. You build a rocket mass heater on your own. The odds of you hurting yourself are about zero. It's like you're going to have to work hard to hurt yourself. But you start messing with heating water. Then it's like there's a there's a very there's a more than fifty percent chance that you're going to not only hurt yourself but but hurt your family. Um, this thing's it's it'll probably explode, and so yeah. you know yeah. just so we we powerfully advocate that if you're going to try and heat water in any way with with rocket stuff, 
strongly advocate. We show you how to do it with a pressurized mm-hmm. system like in your home. But we strongly advocate unpressurized systems just to avoid this very problem. So, <clears throat> all right. The key is, is that there's people have this cognitive dissonance. So we talk about rocket mass heaters and how great they are. And and basically, the, our latest movie, which just came out like uh, two weeks ago, is called Free Heat. And and it's like, because basically you can heat, one guy heated his home all winter with nothing but junk mail. Okay. Um, so, you know, hey, you get a bunch of cardboard boxes, your Amazon shit is arriving in these cardboard boxes. And it's like, so... So somebody, somebody asked me like, you know, what's the point of talking about rocket mass heaters if I live in an apartment? And, and my response to that is, is it's like, well, first of all, do you know what a nuclear reactor is? Well, yeah. Do you have a vague idea of how it works? Well, yeah, it heats the water, which runs a turbine, you know? Yeah. And it's kind of like, I want that same level of brain space for a rocket mass heater. You live in an apartment. How many nuclear reactors have you ever built? Are you going to build a nuclear reactor in your lifetime? In your apartment? But yet you know (laughs) about how a nuclear reactor works. I just want that same thing. Now, the next thing is, because that guy made the argument of, like, you can't even get the fuel for it in your apartment. And so my argument is, is, like, if you go to the grocery store, you get groceries, which you eat in your apartment. What are they packaged in? Some of them are packaged in something papery. Set yeah. those aside. Then you get a package from Amazon. The box is made out of cardboard, and whatever's inside is probably wrapped in more cardboard. All of those things are fuels for a rocket mass heater. So it's kind of like, you know, basically I, I went on and on and on from there to spell it out how – how little fuel you need. It is such a ridiculously tiny amount of fuel. And, and it's like, you will probably in an apartment because your fuel needs in an apartment are less than if you're in a big ass house. And so it's quite probable that whatever packaging that is arriving to you will be sufficient to heat your home. So there I solved the problem of not enough fuel in an apartment. I also pointed out that it's like, you know, if you learn about it, there's a chance that you'll either tell somebody else about it or that you will find yourself in a position where you can build one for yourself and or hell buy one. And and it's kind of like now the great thing is uh, Ernie and Erica Wisner before who've been on your show uh, before they they changed the code in Portland, Oregon, to allow rocket mass heaters, which was the first place where the code showed rocket mass heaters, um, they built one and uh, didn't tell anybody. And they had, like, this neighbor who I will call Mrs. Kravitz, and only about a quarter of the, your audience will even understand that joke, who was, like, calling the authorities on Ernie and Erica for everything they could think of every week but they never called them on the rocket mass heater because they didn't know there was one in there. Ah. The, the exhaust is generally, for nearly all of the burn, the exhaust is mostly steam. And so, in fact, if, if you're living, if you've got a bug-out location somewhere, then and you need to heat it, if, you've, if you're going to be heating it with a rocket mass heater, you're not giving a smoke trail. 
So a smoke trail reveals your location, mm-hmm. but but there's no smoke trail. It's steam. It comes out as uh, as like you can see the steam coming out, and then it totally dissipates about three feet away from where the vertical exhaust is. Okay, so, after all that, you're still in an uphill battle to get somebody oh yeah. to put one of these in a three bedroom house, let True. alone their one bedroom apartment. I I'm I'm not even going to get into the one bedroom apartment. Let's, and let's so I don't know how you get over that. I'm in a three-bedroom house right now, and I have one in my house. Yeah, but you're freaking crazy. Okay, sure. You bet. And, and you live on a mountain, and you don't have someone that tells you, no, I don't want that in my house living with you. There, there, There is that as well. The, <laughs> the person that was living here, the, the people that were living here at the time were keen on the idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because they all went to where you are to do what you do. And so I'm just telling you what you're trying to sell into. And I'd like, I'd like this to work. I don't know how, I think it has to be as easy to go from zero to rocket mass heater in your home Mm -hmm. or close to as easy as it is to go from zero to I went down to the store. I talked to the nice man. He sold me the stove. Two weeks later, a crew drove a truck to my house. Properly installed it and went away. Okay. That's, that's uh, I don't know how you get there. Let's talk about Europe for just a second. So apparently last winter, the average European using natural gas heat spent $2,000 for the winter okay. for natural gas heat. Now, of course, you know, a lot of the natural gas was coming from Russia and yep, they and it's turned not that off. I got so uh, apparently this year it will cost $20,000. For a person to heat, and you home. can't get the gas. I, I get the problem. Here's my question: So, I, are you seeing this European who's been relying on natural gas this entire time? You know, firing up, putting the welding shield down, and starting welding a core. They can't get baby okay. food. They're supposed to get the material and knowledge to build a rocket mass heater in the next. Oh, I don't know, like three weeks before winter sets in over Europe, right? Which is what we're providing. In fact. Uh, so first of all, no welding. I haven't okay. seen any welding done on a rocket mass heater in years. I've seen some weird okay. stuff where people did do welding and it's like, why are you doing that? Okay. And it's like, uh, um, all right, setting, setting that aside. I want to say that I sent you a link just before the show and, uh, it was a link to some rocket mass heater plans, which just got finished up like two days ago. Yep. They're and in the show notes already. I obviously didn't have time to look at them though. Everybody. Watching this show, he, listening to this show, gets it for free. We're, we're setting it up so everybody gets these plans for free. And the great thing is, is it, is they're such good plans. They really make it simple on on how to make a, a, a quick and simple rocket mass heater. And it's a pebble style, which means you can take it apart and load it on a truck in under an hour. And right. and it's like so wherever you need heat for whatever reason for what you know whatever that you can you can have this ready to go. Uh, a little rocket mass heater. All right. So, um, uh, I, I, I think that we're talking about the three bedroom house and you're right. I'm a cook. Yeah. And, yeah. and I kind of feel you're like, like you're a unicorn. You're, okay. you're right. one Fair in a enough. million, right? One in a million. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, um, uh, I want to point out that if you live someplace where it gets a little cooler, um, and, and I think Texas could be could be qualified, but, but yeah. let's say colder than Texas. Like, let's yeah. say, let's say it's colder than Texas. 
and um, and and you're calling yourself prepared. Are you prepared for the cost of your electricity and your heat and stuff like that to go up by a factor of 100? If it goes up by a factor for of 100, are you prepared? Are you ready for that? And um, suddenly, I think you start to think about this. I mean, how attached are you to the grid? And let's keep in mind, propane is part of the grid. People keep saying, I live off grid. And it's kind of like, um, propane is the grid. That's, that is the grid. So, um, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Jack. Um, but the thing is, is it's like those people in Europe are about to go through the stuff that your show is all about. If times get tough or even if they don't, and it's like, and they're about to experience tough. And it's like, you think, you know, you're, they're about to learn that heat is something of a luxury that their ancestors learned how to have pretty thick blood most of the time. And, uh, they have other ways of heating themselves that were not as convenient. And I think a lot of, a lot of the people that exist today are not going to survive that kind of cold. No, there's going to be deaths due to cold and supply shortages both in Europe between now and spring. That's going to happen. Now you're saying more than ever happened by the COVIDs, way more. You're saying a spousal unit is going to say, no way. No, and I'm saying the people you're trying to sell this to are going to have the spousal units is going to say no way. I don't. No, no. I, fair, 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 yeah. fair point. Fair point. Yeah. Fair point. I'm talking about marketability and you're talking no, about no. feasibility, right? We're, yeah. we're in a different okay. world. Very good point. Both, you know, both points are very good points. And, and I'm doing my best to, to mitigate the point. So it's like, I think, I think one thing about the pebble style is very different aesthetic. Wood sides. Uh, a granite counter like top. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for the one that I'm talking about here in the Fisher Price House, and you've been in the Fisher Price House, but when you were here, we hadn't built it yet. Uh, okay. <laughs> but we've, and granted, we have, so we have a barrel in our living room, although yeah. it is a stainless steel barrel and it is okay. very handsome. Okay. And over, it's been nine years that it's been operating. And so when the heat hits different parts of stainless steel, it develops yeah. this kind of Colors. rosy and blue yeah. patina. It's yeah. titanium-looking exactly. kind of thing going on. Yeah, it's cool. It's, no, it. it's kind of turned into an art piece of its own. But, yeah, it is a barrel in this room. Now, at the same time, there's a lot of these that have been made, and they have no barrel. So if you buy a Liberator rocket heater, it does okay. not have a barrel. It's, it, is, it is a very handsome-looking thing. Of course, it looks quite different from a conventional wood stove, and the way that you operate it is different than a conventional wood stove. But it's also pretty small footprint. It's got a footprint that's smaller than a conventional wood stove. So um, it is it is a way to travel. But now with a Liberator rocket heater, you're going to heat your home with one-third of the wood. Um and I can talk about the math and the why and the wherefores. And I, and I, I, I have things I want to say about the Liberator company and, and, and they, and they're coming, they're going to do a thing. They're coming out with something which will get you that one tenth of the wood, but it ain't out yet. And so, okay. um, uh, that's coming soon. In the meantime, 
the Liberator is cool. I'm, I'm bringing it up for people to see that are on the video right now. And if you're listening to it on the audio, nah, 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 you can't see it. No, you just have to go look it up. Uh, I always embed the video in the, on the audio notes as well. But if you look at this, this, I think you can sell this into suburban America. This is a product. This is a, a, a you know, you install it. It's there. It's, it looks like a narrow, tall wood stove. Which is not only, not only are people buying it like crazy, but, uh, I've, I talked to the guy that runs that Sky Huddleston, uh, and, um, uh, he is swamped with orders. He is, he is just, he just bought a massive warehouse to help him build these things faster and he is drowning in orders. And he is, um, so if, I don't know if you bought one now, it might be a month or two until you actually, like, until it gets shipped to you because they're so behind. Um, but it's, it's worth looking into. Now at the same time, if you want something faster, then of course there's all the movies that I've made because I put out tons of YouTube videos for ages. And then we got the idea of like, you know, the, the, the first movies that we put out. Um, and so those are available. And, uh, that helps you to get an idea of how to build it yourself. But I gotta tell you that, uh, this free heat movie that we just put out should have everything you need to understand it. And it's just a two hour movie. Well, and let's not, let's not undersell the plans, right? That's where I was going. Let's not undersell the plans. So yeah. if you're watching this live, Paul and I are going to wrap up soon because we're at like two hours, which is no surprise when Paul and I get together. But <laughs> about one hour from when we finish, which will be soon, which means if you click the link right now watching this live, it won't work because we're not – because I always get somebody, it doesn't work. We're not done yet. When this is done, I'll strip the audio out. We'll put the regular audio podcast out. There will be a link. It will be under a section. It will say Paul's links, and you can get these plans for free. All you got to do is jump over to the Permies forum. If you don't have an account, set one up and fill out a thing, and then you will get these 3D plans, which are probably badass. I can't in good conscience say they are. I expect them to be because they're from Paul. I didn't get to look at them. I literally got them five minutes before Paul and I got on the air together. Uh, <laughs> but you can get them for free, and you can learn how to do this. I think the the plans are amazing. They're 3D. They're um uh it's it's very simple. And then basically they're they're plans of a build that we did in the Free Heat movie. And um and the Free Heat movie has I think eight or nine different builds. Um and uh, so you can see this particular item being built, this pebble style rocket mass heater. Um and uh, uh I I kind of feel like. Everybody's got their reason why they're not going to wrap their head around a rocket mass heater or build one or whatever, and that's fine. But I do want everybody to know we have an answer for everything. Everything that you could possibly bring up that's like, I can't do it because, and it's like, I got, we got answers for that. That I am baffled right now because I've been at this for 13 years trying to tell people about rocket mass heaters. I am baffled that at least half the people listening right now are not currently heating their homes with a rocket mass heater. It's, um, it is the, it is really the way to go. And so when you talk about like somebody in your home is going to say no, or somebody is considering it as like, I don't like the look of them. There are some that are incredibly beautiful. You do not have to use a barrel. Um, there are commercial ones available for sale. I think that at this moment, um, building it yourself is the best way to go, and they're not that hard to build. 
Um, and so this is, to me, this is, I, it's gut wrenching to me that we don't have more people doing this. But in Europe, I'm really, really, really baffled because all these people are like, I guess I'm going to die. I better get used to that idea. And they won't, they don't even know that these exist. And, and it's like, I have no idea how to carry this information to them. Um, Well, you're not gonna, I mean, just to be blunt, it's not that the message isn't good. It's that the, the people in the situation you're talking about right now are, they, and I believe this is, this is wrong get conspiratorial. I believe this has all been done by design and plan and, and they have been made stupid and people will get very offended by that word. So hold on. I am saying made stupid in the model of Bonhoeffer's theory of stupidity. Bonhoeffer was a guy that ended up executed in a German concentration camp because he was partially at least involved with the, the concept of like getting rid of this guy named Hitler. Uh, he was also a philosopher and a minister. He wrote uh, while he was in prison about the theory of stupidity and that people can be made stupid. And they don't mean intellectually slow. They mean they latch on to certain things and they can't think otherwise. And they actually are more dangerous being stupid than violent because violent people you can resist with violence. Stupid people become mobs and you're unable to resist them effectively with violence. Uh, you have to overcome uh, willful ignorance. And I think that that's part of it. And the other part of it is their lives are just chaos, Paul. Their, their lives are in chaos. They're worried about like mushroom clouds, right? They're not worried about being too cold right now, even though they should be. They're worried about becoming way too hot, way too quickly. And if we don't start doing our stupid shit that we're involved with over there, it could have, like all of that could go away tomorrow, but we're a big reason of why it won't. And I don't know what you can do about that. I think that you have to, you have to worry about like with what's in your sphere of influence and your sphere of control right now, because we're all going to suffer for this. Don't think because it's worse there that it won't be bad here. And that's why people should listen to you about this, especially if you live in a place that's really freaking cold. Um, I, I think this liberator is actually really, really cool. Um, I, I'll tell you honestly, I have so like, we do have occasional cold snaps. Everything got way overblown with how bad things were a couple winters ago where we had the big freeze come in for like, you know, we were below freezing for 11 days consecutively. That includes our highs. That's very unusual for here. It wasn't that big a deal though. I mean, with small backup heating, it was no big deal. I had a very large wood stove when I moved in here. Mm -hmm. I got rid of it because it was obnoxious and in the way of everything. I didn't want it. I was like, I got rid of it. I would be more inclined to have one of these things than the uh, than the, the one I had because, as you said, the footprint's smaller. That that yeah. that's actually pretty impressive. Um, you had not actually told me about that before today. I, I'm, I'm pretty people, impressed with that. There were some people putting together an idea where they felt like uh, they wanted to make something that was like a tabletop rocket heater mm. that you could vent the exhaust out through a window. And, okay. and so then it's like, you know, if, if you live in an apartment, then you could just take some of your paper scraps and cardboard scraps and feed it into this thing. And then, uh, That's you know, cool. the exhaust would go outside and it would heat your home, you know, quite a bit. It, you know, that you wouldn't have a mass with it. I mean, the beauty no. of the, of the mass is that when it heats the mass, then when you, at, 
at uh, you go to bed at night and you wake up in the morning and it's 70 instead of 72. That's the beauty of the mass. Um, whereas, uh, um, you know, otherwise without the mass, then it's like that once the heat, once the fire's out, then depending on, on how uninsulated your structure might be, it could start to get really cold really fast. Yes. And so then you've got people with conventional wood stoves that are getting up at two o'clock in the morning to build a new fire. Mm-hmm. Whereas with, with a rocket mass heater, we don't get up in the middle of the night to build a fire. Um, but, but the, the, that, that temptation to have a fire burning at night when you go to bed, that leads to that 3% efficiency. Whereas rocket mass heater won't function if you're operating it at less than 93% efficiency. And so then we just take the extra heat to store it in the mass and you don't have to have a fire at night. I think that people need to use the, the in their head if they're not familiar with what you're talking about. Don't think thermal mass. Use the term in your mind, thermal battery. That's true. That's, that's what it is. It's a battery for the heat. So we talked about this a lot recently with shows about how things like Bitcoin are actually used to make the grid more stable, not less, and how we are always producing more than we can use at any given time. And like commercial power generation has to work that way. They have to build peaker plants, and they have to be, especially with renewables, they have to be making more at any given time than they can sell. And by having a, something in place that can say, I'll buy that cheap from you and I'll use it. And then when you need it, I'll shut down and you can send it out to the grid. You stabilize the grid. This is sort of the same thing in your house. You're taking you, the, the amount of energy. If you look at just like the, the amount of heat, potential heat energy in a small bundle of sticks, it's a massive amount of heat. If I set it on fire and put your ass over it, you would scream really fast and not want to be there anymore. There's way more heat than you need. The problem is when we burn it, it goes away. We get a certain amount of it radiated out immediately, and the rest of it leaves. And the thermal mass absorbs it, and it's a battery. And my buddy David is fond of saying everything is a battery. In an aquatic system, your sump is a water battery. And a thermal mass of a rocket mass heater, that's a heat battery. Everything that can store anything, catch and store energy, right, is a battery. So this is a thermal battery. And that's why it's so powerful, but it, I, I don't know that they fit everywhere as far as, you know, people's lives. But I, I love no. the concept. I, I think that that's totally fair. Now, of course, here we came into a conventional three-bedroom home, and we yeah. put, in a, put in a rocket mass heater, but, of course – Everybody who was here was was up for it. Uh, the library. Um, and you're an evil uh, dictator, so if they weren't, then there's that too. There's that too. So, but we've got one in the classroom, and so in fact, you'll be able to see in the classroom uh, the uh, uh, the rocket mass heater that's in there uh, in this in the garden master course uh, that's our Kickstarter right now, um, and. Uh, uh, we did start off at the beginning of the event um, where uh, they just fired up the, the rocket mass heater in there just as the class was starting. And so people were still wearing their coats. And at some point I, I said, I think on Wednesday of the uh, or so, I said, uh, okay, let's run this long enough that we can get the temperature up high enough that people aren't like wearing a jacket or anything. Okay. Because you know? they got the temperature up to like 65. So people kept wearing jackets. Yeah. And, uh, and I said, no, this thing will take it up higher. Let's, let's take it up to 75 until people start peeling off their jackets to be comfortable. And, uh, and so we, we did, we jacked up the heat and, uh, um, then, then people took off their coats. So the first few days, 
of of this garden master course, you'll see people wearing their coats. Um, <laughs> the other thing is, is we had this giant gob of snow land on the roof of the building. Okay. And it uh, and it slid off all at once, and and it clipped out our chimney for the wood shop, which. Ew. Like right where we're sitting, we can see a big hole in the roof. So all our heat <laughs> is going outside. Oh, but, the hole. But the rocket mass heater that we had in there kept up without a problem. Kept everybody oh, wow. warm and toasty, even though there's a giant hole in the hole roof. in the roof, which would be your worst place for a hole. Because heat goes and, up. Yeah, right? exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, uh, we, we corked the hole. We repaired that and, uh, you know, no problem. But, you know, just basically it happens sometimes in cold climate. You're going to get a big gob of ice and snow. Uh, and then somehow rather than, you know, sliding off in bits or whatever, it decides to like, I'm going to make an avalanche. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, okay, yeah. that happens. When we get done, just, just Google I am pay. It's an architect. I am initials pay building Dallas and look how that building is designed. And I'll just tell you that some really horrible things happened with ice when they first built that building. They had to put in ice melt. No, really like yeah. loss of life level ice sheets coming off of the, the building. Like they had to fix that. And then they turned around and did it with the new cowboy stadium in Arlington where uh, a couple of people actually lost their lives because of something like that. So be careful with that folks. Anyway, Paul, um, we really didn't talk about skip. That's okay. Cause we did last time. People can learn more about that. Uh, I do have links to that in the notes as well. I got the heater plans. I got all this great stuff. What is your, I give you a few minutes here at the end, your message to the TSP army. Uh, uh, be prepared for when times get <laughs> tough or even if they don't, I always loved that. That is so good. That is such a great, uh, a byline. Um, uh, I, I do want to say that uh, I want to say thank you to the – I've got about 100 people who help me with everything that I do every day. And um, it's it's just so wonderful to get that, that we've got so many people doing so many things. Um, homesteading and permaculture is everything that we do. Um, uh, this is my 12th Kickstarter. That means that I have 12 different products out there, the skip book being one. Rocket Mass Heater Movies being another, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This, this new Garden Master course, the, um, the permaculture playing cards, we're coming up on November. We'll sell like 5,000 decks of cards all in that little window right after Thanksgiving. Uh, as people. Uh, just real quick on the permaculture playing cards. If you, if you look really closely at the Ace of Spades. <laughs> the, the name Jack Spirko will appear, but you have to look really closely in the Ace of Spades for Jack Spirko to appear. That's true. And I'm not That's making true. it up. No, I'm not making it up. I I'll think ask you which card I wanted, and I told him Ace of Spades, bro. 26 of the cards have somebody's name hidden in the card. One of the cards has a needle in it. And so you look for the needle in the haystack. Um, I, I don't know. I think now you so you've seen the cards. I I think they're that they're cool. remarkably beautiful. Um and uh each card is loaded with a bunch of permaculture stuff. And and uh I the the function of the cards, and this is kind of hilarious, the function the reason why they exist at all is the idea that if you're keen on permaculture and so your friends and family think you're crazy, the idea is is that you can give them these cards during the holidays 
And if they open it up and they look at just one or two of the cards, they kind of thumb through it real quick. We've tried to design it so that whichever card they land on, that is the one, the one card or the second card that they land on, that it actually has such substance that will appeal to them that you will seem less crazy. Hopefully they'll, they'll take more than a minute and look, look at a dozen cards, but we kind of figure you got about 11 seconds. And so that's the design of the card. You give them to people so that you will seem less crazy. <laughs> I think they're effective. I've heard from a lot of people that they've been very effective at doing that. And so, um, and people like the cards. So, uh, but this is the time of year when we sell tons of them. The rest of the year we hardly sell any. But, but, oh, here it comes. We've so got I'll, books. I'll throw, stuff. Yeah. I'll throw the thing you need. Maybe you already have this. You need the 300 unicorn uh, picture thread on permies. Because I said a unicorn's one in a million. So that there okay. should be 300 people in America who have retrofitted a rocket mass heater into a house like you have. And there's probably dozens of ways that could look. You need a giant thread of nothing but here's mine, here's mine, here's mine, here's mine. And if you give me that thread, and you can do 50, not even 300, I will market the shit out of that thread for you. I believe at this moment that there are more than 200,000 rocket mass heaters installed across the globe. And we have a thread that is about the most beautiful ones. And so I think the great thing about looking at the most beautiful ones is that you get inspired to be like, oh, yeah, I totally want that in my house. At the same time, I think we haven't um, we haven't asked people to post new pictures of their most beautiful rocket mass heaters uh, in probably seven years. And so maybe maybe we're past due yeah. for that. But um uh, I'm, I'll, I'll ask Bo if he can go find the beautiful rocket mass heater thread and we'll share screen. that. See the screen? Is that right? It is Bo, it send me this thread. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're one step ahead of me. And so Bo will probably, yeah, here's the thread, he says. <laughs> These are my peeps. <laughs> here we go. I knew he was here. That's why I did it. All he's right. Been bang, he's been banging on it. Email me for a fishy. Put it here too, but yes, yeah, send me the, that oh, way no. I'll get in the show notes. I, I made a two minute video on what is a rocket mass heater, and I think it's an amazing video. It, and it shows off my very poor animation skills. And then, <laughs> and then, uh, I made another video called how is a rocket mass heater so efficient? And that's animated by the Bernal brothers who are, who are amazing animators and they do a great job. I, I kind of feel like those two videos really help people to understand rocket mass heater stuff. And so I, and the second video is like three minutes long. Uh, so a two minute video and a three minute video and it's all, that's, there's a third video I sometimes share, which is about how a rocket mass heater is so clean. And it's a demonstration I did in like 2010, I think it was. And, um, so we went to a, a park. Uh, and it, uh, I think it was Earth Day and we're demonstrating rocket mass heaters. And so you could see the fire and then this woman puts her face in the exhaust because it's totally invisible and she, she breathes it in 
And she says, I can smell smoke smell, but I don't smell any smoke. And the important thing also is you'll notice that the skin on her face isn't being burned off because the temperature that's coming out is kind of yeah. feels like room temperature. So, yeah. but that's, that's kind of the thing about rocket mass heaters. They burn extremely clean. And on top of that, the exhaust temperature is very low and, uh, and there's no smoke. So I think a, a burn of a rocket mass heater puts out less smoke than a candle. Um, so she was basically breathing in, I don't know, candle stuff. Uh, candle stuff. But you can see the fire burning, you know, and we kind of move the camera from the fire burning. And it's just roaring. And then over to the exhaust, and this woman's breathing it in. Awesome. So awesome. I did not ask her to do that. I was a little surprised <laughs> that she did it. I wouldn't do it. Uh, I wouldn't but, do it either. You're reading there. a little bit of CO2 there. I'm just saying. Like, it, yeah. 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 There is CO2. There is. There definitely is. But I mean, it's totally, it was totally clear when she did it. And so, um, anyway, the, the, the thing is, is that these are the things that I share. But yeah, pictures of beautiful rocket mass heaters really kind of helps people along. But you're saying 300. And so, I'm not sure if we have. I said like, I'll settle for fifty. For fifty, okay. I bet yeah, we could I easily. I think the goal. You always set the goal. Okay. Higher I, I, than the expectation, right? I like, think the thread of the beautiful rocket mass heaters probably has thirty in it, and then I'm looking um, at it right now. On the forums at permies.com, we easily have probably several hundred where people are talking about their build and stuff like that. Uh, here at my house, we have more than a dozen, um, you know, right here. Uh, and, and we've got some videos showing off those, uh, as well. Um, they're around, but, uh, uh, I think a big thing too is, is like, be careful on YouTube. There's a lot of stuff that people are calling rocket mass heaters and they are not, uh, you can't do it with cement. Um, you can't do it with a steel core. Um, well, there are exceptions to steel core stuff, but really the stuff I've seen with, it's like, well, I welded up a rocket mass heater. And it's like, no, you, you did not. You did not. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. So anything with cement, no. And then I think another good one that would be, if somebody's like, look, I made a rocket mass heater. It's like, look for the video where it's like, here we are still using it four years later. Um, and it's like, if they don't have that video, it's like, I think you should be suspicious of whether or not it's really a rocket mass heater or whether or not they followed the instructions. Um, <clears throat> but there's tons and tons of, so as I said, I believe that there's more than 200,000 of them in existence right now. Um, oh, see, look at that. There you go. There's a lot of beautiful stuff. Now these, so, are anyway, Cobb, Cobb is what most of these are made out of. And a lot of people are, are, some people call it Adobe Cobb or Adobe but, you know, Cobb seems to be the word we end up with most of the time. But the ones that uh, I think the cool thing with the Pebble style is it's a very different aesthetic than the Cobb style. Um, on top of so that. You need, a new, you need a new thread. These are about eight years old. And, and this is beautiful. This is gorgeous. Um, this is not going in the Choice Homes 3-2 custom that's all drywall and spackle and it's. It's just probably not. It's okay. Look like, at that one. That's beautiful. That's gorgeous. And, and that uh, is in the exact kind of home that you're talking about. 
I think that would fit well in it. And that's a Cobb. That's a Cobb-style one. And that is stunningly beautiful. And again, for those of you not on the video, nah, 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 you can't see it. I, I, seriously, guys, I'll have a uh, – that's a brick uh, set up. That's beautiful. So I will have, for those of you who are listening to the audio only, a link straight to this thread so you don't have to go through all the video and find it. And it would be probably more enjoyable uh, for you to actually scroll through it yourself. But that's my challenge to you, Paul. Let's get a new thread going. Let's get as many uh, different varieties and different ways this is being done so that people can see it because I think there is, there's knowing how to do it and they're seeing what it can be. And I think, yeah. I think one of the things is from permaculture. What has made more permaculturist? Uh, the, reading a book of a diagram, very well done design diagram, or seeing a hundred different versions of what's called a food forest. And when people see a thing, they see the one that looks like the one they want. They go, I want that one. And then they're hooked. Yes. So let's see if we can help you yes. with the, the rocket mass heating uh, domination of the world. So let's show people what could be, and then they'll figure out what they want. Anyway, man, thank you for being with us today. Two hours, 18 minutes, 22 seconds as of right now. So we do need to wrap the hell up. Thank you again for being here. Uh, permies.com, richsoil.com, all of the websites, all of the social media, all of it is already in the audio notes, which will be available about an hour from this moment. Paul, thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Jack. It's always lovely to be here. Always fun chatting with Paul. Again, I encourage you to consider backing the Garden Master Kickstarter if you haven't already done so, or upgrading just a little bit if you're under that $100 mark, because just go look at it and go look at all the stuff you get. If you are going to back it and you haven't yet, please go to my episode today that I've, I've, I've got all the notes for you, episode 3191. Use the link there. I am an affiliate for Paul. That's how our sponsorship agreement works. And so if you don't use the link, I don't get any credit for referring you. So I appreciate that. On that note, also in today's uh, show notes, if you are a person who wants to get into Bitcoin the easy way, like you don't want to go out and buy it, you just want Bitcoin and you want to start accumulating Bitcoin, and you're the kind of person that spends money, as in U.S. Federal Reserve space notes, like dollars, and you're willing to use a debit card called Fold to buy and pay for the stuff you're already doing, any place where you could use a, a credit debit card, right? Um, a prepaid debit card, basically. So there's a few places that won't take that, like quasi-cash things. Uh, but if you'll you simply fund it, and pay your bills, and you can link it to your PayPal account as a funding source, and you can use PayPal to pay and pull funding from it for people that may not take it but will take PayPal. So there's lots of ways to do this. You do all your Amazon shopping, including your stuff through TSPAS. I'll tell you, I've been using it now about three months. I've stacked well over 2 million sats. Well over 2 million sats. I'm close to 3 million sats that I wouldn't have. I bought none of them. I bought none of them. All I did was use the fold card to pay the bills. We pay everything. My server bill gets paid. My catering stuff for the workshop is getting paid. Like everything. Uh, our, our health insurance we pay with it. Our electric bill. Our phone bill. Our cable bill. None of that is stuff that I wouldn't pay for. I already have to pay for it. One little extra step. Almost 3 million sats stacked into the future. If you believe that Bitcoin has any chance of becoming a global reserve asset, and I believe that it will, then this is too easy. And so I say if you don't use Fold to spend the money you're spending anyway, 
you hate money. You can find a link where you can join my spin squad. All you got to do is use my link. When you sign up, and this is why you should use my link, you'll get 5,000 sats the day you sign up. So 5,000 sats are just sitting there waiting for you. You can start learning about Bitcoin. If you already know about Bitcoin, you should be doing this too. Easy peasy simple. Get the fold card for you hate money, and my link will take you to a place where you can learn all about how to game the system, how to earn like 6% back on everything you buy on Amazon every month. Yes, I said 6%. There's a way to do it. Read my article, you'll find out how. With that, let's wrap things up. Tomorrow I'll be doing more of a topical discussion. There's a lot to talk about that's going on right now. We're going to talk about the potential for increased conflict in the Ukraine-Russian war, why I don't think it'll happen, at least I hope it won't happen, and why I think a lot of the rhetoric is going to get dialed down in about 12 days. What's that? That's after the Ask Clown Circus. That's what we call the election. I'm going to talk to you a little about the election tomorrow. I don't do a lot with politics, guys. You know that. I don't. I call it the Ask Clown Circus for a reason. But I also believe that sometimes people deserve punishment. And the punishment that the left gets, there's a... I know it was Tom and Jerry or Bugs Bunny or something, but like the dog, the bulldog, I think it's Tom and Jerry because like the bulldog's there, and the cat sneaks up on him, and the bulldog's on a chain, and the cat like grabs the bulldog's tail by the, by the tail and lifts his ass in the air and takes a paddle and just smacks the crap out of the bulldog and then runs just past the chain and the dog runs and gets choked. That kind of an ass paddle beating torture torment. That's what the left's about to get. I'm going to tell you tomorrow why I think that the blowout in these midterms, I don't think it's going to change your life as much as some of you think, but the blowout that's going to happen is going to be mind-altering for the Democrats. They are going to scream. They are going to shriek. They already know it. They're already planting the seed that the 2024 election is going to be stolen by Republicans. Seriously, I've already, they've already, and I'll get into that tomorrow. I got some other stuff going on I want to tell you about tomorrow. I got a guy that's been doing keto carnivore in our audience now for about a month and a half. I'm going to tell you his results. He took the challenge I gave about a month and a half ago. None of the rest of you did. It's interesting to hear people shriek and screech about how it doesn't work, but then see what happens when somebody actually does it. It's, it's, it's pretty amazing. Uh, and I've got some other stuff that'll be more in the topical end of the world stuff you guys like. Show up tomorrow, then Friday. Expert Council Q&A. I do need more questions for expert council members, so send them in so I can get those questions out. And that will wrap our week for us. So I will catch you guys tomorrow with another episode of the Survival Podcast. They gonna bail you out or just run you around. They said you should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you'll never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way